rats, morphs, and morlocks. Welcome to a new edition of Marvel vs. Marvel. It's a podcast where someone who has never read a Marvel comic before in their lives sits down with a lifelong Marvel aficionado, nay, expert, and they go through a Marvel movie or TV show, and together we compare, contrast, and dig in to the fantastic history, trivia, and characters of the Marvel comic books that are now dominating the world of popular culture and taking it all over. Hello and welcome to the first episode of 2021. I'm reclaiming the correct way of saying the year. Uh, <laughs> we're really excited to be bringing you our uh, our brand new episodes. Let's set Will off already. <laughs> what I'm saying is we lost the fight in in 2020. Everyone started saying 2020 instead of the correct way, which is 2020. Uh, I want to reclaim it this year. Uh, hi, I'm Rob Halton, pedant, writer, and comedian, and the uh, Marvel expert side of the equation. And I'm joined on the podcast as ever by the man that makes this episode, this show, nay, the whole thing work because he's powered by ignorance it's mr will preston yes hello it's nice to be here in the year of our lord uh, 2001 <laughs> and 20 we've had so much fun in 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 uh, 2020 yeah. um and uh, and it was the, it was the, just an incredible year for us because um, we didn't exist before that year. No, and this no, podcast no. has helped, as we said in in the last few episodes, it kept us all together. It helped us have this wonderful creative output, and we've seen our downloads come flying in over ten thousand in a really short space of time. We're really excited about all of that, but we're super excited about this year, aren't we? Oh, oh, yeah! It's going to be massive. Massive. We had a big, big reaction to all the plans that we announced in our end of year show, where Will played my big fat Marvel quiz of the year. <laughs> Check it out in the archives if you've not given it a listen. And I understand it's it's not a review of it. It's not it's not as going through a movie or a TV show. But hey, you should check it out. Tons of fun. You can play along at home. We've been having people send their scores in. Um, I don't know if anyone's beat your score yet, Will. Though that's been quite interesting. Um, I, quite a lot of people. I, yeah, I, I, I beat your score. I can see. I'm surprised because I got yelled at online for getting some of them wrong. Yeah, yeah because this is your job, Will. You're not sitting at like no, you're not listening to this in the car or whilst clearing out the garage or you're at work or you're babysitting the kids. This is your job. This is your role. This is what you do. <laughs> and it turned out you every other thing I say you don't take in. And it broke my heart, <laughs> and, a, and and I think you let a lot of our fans down. That's all I'm saying. Well, how else am I going to power this by ignorance if I listen to you? <laughs> That's a good point. God. That's a very good point. We announced in that God. episode, we announced on Patreon, we announced to the world that we've got so many incredible fun things planned for this year, and we're kicking off with our first trip into the Marvel Animated Universe this episode begins it, starts it. We are dealing with X-Men, the animated series from the 1990s. Uh, a, a real touchstone for for a generation. The 90s kids had their own version of the MCU. And it was X-Men, Spider-Man and Hulk and Iron Man and the Fantastic Four. And they are all going to be uh, dealt with in the Marvel versus Marvel fashion. 
And uh, that's what we're beginning with in this episode. And we've got so much to look forward to in this episode. We're going to talk about the X-Men going to Australia. We're going to talk about um, who can destroy Wolverine's adamantium. We're going to talk about Sentinels. We're going to talk about Morlocks, the death of Professor Xavier. It's all to come in this episode Plus our reading list. And hey, this is the first episode where we've got, I like to call it, the new sound. The new sound of Marvel vs. Marvel. <laughs> um, thanks to our wonderful, wonderful VIEPs on Patreon, we were able to raise the money to, uh, to, to not rent a human. What's the other word? Hire. Hire <laughs> a human. A <laughs> Human for rent hire. That, <laughs> uh, a sound ah, engineer. <laughs> we, we, we hired a sound engineer. We 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 did some uh, voice recordings and some. We've had some jingles mm. created to uh, to spice up the show, to to uh, to break things up and to create what I'm sure will be a very professional sheen onto this well well run, tightly knitted <laughs> engine that is. Marvel versus Marvel. This is the first episode of the new sound, the 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 new 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 the new sound. They don't sound the jingles don't sound like that. I just thought I'd do one on the spot. I'm excited about that. Will well, I was hoping they would sound through... like. I, I I'm excited to listen to them. I just hope they sounded like they sounded just then, like the drag yeah, racing yeah, from the Simpsons. Get ready for action, <laughs> action, action this Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> Well, it, I'm an from my point, list. from from my point of reference, it's either every sound effect played uh, by Tim Westwood on his uh, on his hip hop show. Um, he'd hit the start of it again with the rap 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 show. Like that would be how his sound effects would go. And also, for some reason, in in wrestling in WCW, the NWO's entrance music would would have the new 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 world order like that, and it was just deeply annoying. And I've always thought. That that's what should be on the radio all the time. Anyway, that, that's that's like. Do you know what sounds cool? If 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 someone said what we are in the style of Max Headroom, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably it. Yeah, it's probably yeah, it comes that, from that pesky Max Headroom. Yep. So it's all to come. We've also got your letters, your thoughts on the X Men animated series, which have been flying in because, as we said, this. This really is a, a touchstone for an entire generation of Marvel fans, an entire generation of 90s kids who were 80s kids who grew up in a certain time period, and, and this, this cartoon series was absolutely huge. I've got some personal uh, personal story to tell. Wait, that sounded a little too... Uh, little too... Uh, I'm on a talk show. I've got a personal story to tell. I've got a personal story to tell. Like, upbeat. It's a fun story. It's a good story. Um... Uh, and that's set around one of the letters I, I reached out to my uh, best friend from when this was on. And I said, w- our, our our entire relationship was founded on the X-Men <laughs> and this TV show. Could you mm. write a few words about it? Because, you know, I, I, I can't think of anyone else better, really, to, to, to have that kind of frame of reference. So I've got that to share, which I'm looking forward to. There's tons... To be doing in this episode, it's not all us talking about jingles. <laughs> it's um, going to be packed full. <laughs> the Jingle the Show, anima- Marvel Animated Universe, the Jingle Show, 
Jingle versus Jangle. <laughs> the new podcast. The Jingle Show, Show, Show. So, um, so if you fail to get in touch with us about your your X Men animated series memories, we're doing a series this year of all the nineties animated shows: Iron Man, Spider Man, the Fantastic Four, the Hulk, um, and the Silver Surfer. Those were the the big shows that were on Saturday morning TV in the nineties. Mm. If you've got those memories. Then send them in now as quickly as possible because uh, the order is up in the air. So make sure you get those tours, those memories, because that's what we want to be trawling through. What was it like sat there in your pyjamas, Saturday morning, sat down to watch perhaps your first exposure to the Marvel Universe or perhaps it was the first time you got to see amazing treasured characters like exploding into the rest of the world for the very first time. Send those thoughts to us. Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com is the email address. And the verses in that is not VS. It is the full word V-E-R-S-U-S. Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com. We want to hear your thoughts and your memories. Into the mind of a muggle. The first new jingle of the new sound of Marvel vs. Marvel. The first new jingle of 2021. <laughs> That's where your taxpayers' dollars going. That's where they're going. <laughs> um, slightly slightly concerned about how excited I am about these jingles, I'll be honest with you. Um, and I was on... I was on... Ra- I was used to have a job on local radio for like five years. Don't know why this is so exciting to me. I've done it before. But but yes, we are going into the mind of a muggle, and in many people's opinion, not just a muggle, the muggle. The muggliest muggle in all of muggledom, Will Preston. You sit upon the throne, king of the muggles, the most average of Joes. <laughs> wow! <laughs> um... We, we, I was okay we, with Muggle, but then you just went with the most average person. Well, I was like, whoa. Well, no, 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 no. Listen, uh, there's nothing politicians love more than an average Joe, and you're the most average of Joes in this context. Um, we, yep. we discussed on the X-Men show... Head back to the archives, check that one out, guys. We, we've got... We, we, you know, we're not going to recover too much in this one. So make sure you get the full, unabridged history of the X-Men in our uh, in our X-Men 2000 movie episode. You said in that one, Will, that, that your first exposure to the X-Men was this cartoon series. It was indeed. I didn't know they were a comic before before this. I, I watched it, as we all did. We'd, we'd put the Ninex on, the, the cable box, before school. Uh, Posh! He's posh! He's got money! He's got money! He's not council like the rest of us. I feel like I've just <laughs> snuck into a pub in Yorkshire and an American <laughs> Express card has fallen out of my wallet and they've gone, oh. high income, high income, he's going to buy our houses! <laughs> no, I, I, we, 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 had, we had the Ninex. Uh, which wasn't Sky. We weren't posh enough for Sky. We were that lower middle class people who had the Ninex uh, cable box. And we had, I think it was Fox Kids Network and 
yeah, all the yeah. all the uh, all the Marvel stuff was on there. I remember Spider Man, but more importantly, I remember X Men. And I think later it came on Saturday morning TV anyway. So it was like, ah, we didn't need the nine Xbox all this time for all the cartoons. We just had to wait a year, uh, <laughs> and eventually they would come. Uh, yeah, I was I was enthralled. I love the idea of mutants working as a team. I think I think the teamwork aspect I really love because the only other uh, teamwork I saw before was Masters of the Universe, but even then there was no teamwork. It was just like He-Man going, ha I need someone to do the admin while I punch Skeletor in the face. You there with the green helmet, do my spreadsheets. <laughs> you know, there was no teamwork. With the X-Men, there is a clear sense of teamwork. Everybody comes from different places in the world. They have their own superpowers. And I just went, this is really nice. This is really neat. I like this. Keep that Masters of the Universe in mind for when we head to the Iron Man cartoon. Um, that will uh, that will play mm. in when we get there. Um, you 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 were right though. Yeah, it 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 was distinctively different from any other <laughs> yeah. action adventure Saturday morning kids kind of show, wasn't it? I mean, it really really was. Um, and and yeah, I, I I again we have these powerful memories, and it, it's so interesting to hear about this being your f- well, maybe not your first, but a very early introduction to the Marvel universe for you. Well, it was. I mean, uh, technically the introduction was Spider Man because that gets taught to you at a very early age. For some reason, Spider Man is deeply lodged within the zeitgeist of everybody yeah. after the sixties and seventies. So obviously, uh, I see Spider Man and go, "That's Spider Man." I don't know anything else. I just know that's Spider-Man. That's all I know. Yeah. That's all I know. But the X-Men was the first Marvel uh, car- uh, franchise that I went, ah, I can name more than one character. So I don't franchise. know what. I don't know why I suddenly turned into Alan Partridge there. What? I thought you were becoming Skeletor in the middle of the <laughs> franchise. <laughs> ah, you blundering boob. I wanted a franchise. Well, how successful as well? What a successful, um, what a successful entering into the into the regular world for for Marvel with this X Men series. You talked about you had a Wolverine uh, toy or action figure. Yep, yep, I remember um, that. And we just, we 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 worked out that actually came from McDonald's. That was one of the McDonald's Happy Meal toys. Yep. Um, rather than you going out and spending on a proper action figure. Nothing like says eat that happy meal like a little figurine <laughs> modelled after a 200-year-old grizzled war <laughs> veteran who can slice people. Eat the happy meal, bub. Bub. Oh, I love when he says bub. He doesn't say that in the movies. He says it all the time in the cartoon, and it makes me happy. Well, when we, when we start to talk yeah, about yeah, yeah. Pride of the X-Men, do remind me to tell you about what one line of dialogue ruined Wolverine in that pilot uh, because it's not Bub and it's pretty funny. He says it in Pride of the X-Men, yeah. but it all gets a bit yeah, mixed up and, and, and jangled around. It, it, it's it, it, The success of this is, is staggering. And, and Will, before we go um, sort of behind the uh, productions, you know, you've got some... What can you tell us? What do you know? What have you researched and found out about well, I- this cartoon series? 
What did I find? Well, I didn't find any uh, juicy money figures because there's no money in cartoons, people. There's no money. I kid, there is money. <laughs> well, it, yeah, it doesn't quite work like that, does it? It's not like but, we don't rock up to our TVs and enter $10 into the TV <laughs> to watch a program <laughs> like we do at the movies. Well, it depends on which which service you have. But no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. <laughs> some of them do. Um, I, I, I could have gone with ratings, but you guys don't care about ratings as much as we do. Uh, so I, I'm just going to go with, with some interesting facts about this. So we're going to be looking at the first two episodes of, of X-Men. And it turns out that the production was a bit hasty in some ways and a bit, a bit treacherous. So apparently the first two episodes were incredibly rushed. There were deadlines that were pushed back and they contained quite a few errors. In fact, the second episode had 50 scenes missing and only a day set aside for editing. It was a Jeez. Yeah. Now, I, I don't know if there's any editors out there, anybody, people experienced editing, whether it be audio or video. In fact, those are the only two ways you can edit. Uh, it's <laughs> incredibly, it's incredibly uh, time-consuming if, you, if, you if you're not doing something that's regular. I mean, if you're doing a cartoon, that's the first episode of a series, and you haven't got the rhythm yet, mm. you're going you're gonna to be looking at way more than a day. So... Is, is incredibly full of peril. And because of uh, the delays and the errors, Fox threatened to cut the contract with ACOM, the uh, animation team. I think they're from South Korea. So that was... Yeah, even before it hit the ground, it, there were threatened threats to the contract. That, there is... Um, we'll talk about some books coming up mm. um, about about this really, really interesting time in the history of Marvel, the history of kids' kids' television... But yeah, there is um, indications in these books that everybody involved in television was was predicting this will be an abject failure. Ooh. Like this is not going to work. Oh no! For a myriad of reasons, but those production issues were were part of it. Yeah. Oh, not not surprised. Not surprised. The air was since that they were removed and re-aired later, but still, it, it was it was it was terrible times. But however, however. <clears throat> The series uh, earned top ratings throughout its first season and was renewed for a second season of 13 episodes. So, And that's yeah. no small thing because no. it, is on, it is on in the same block as, uh, you know, Batman the Animated Series and X-Men are on the same network. They're not going up against each other because you can't program against each other on the same network, but to earn the, the top ratings in... Mm. in, in in that programming block is huge. It really is. Oh, oh, ab- ab- absolutely huge. Uh, I was trying to look into research uh, of this um, because I thought Batman, the animated series, came first, but it turns out I think it well, it did come first, but only by it does, yeah. three months. <clears throat> three months it came out beforehand, and I always thought Batman came way, you know, way sooner. And then, and then they went, "Hey, this cartoon's pretty successful. Let's do X Men like that." I don't, yeah, I don't think it quite runs like that. But no. what, what is interesting is the huge difference in the production budgets and production mm. values. The Batman animated series had a lot of money to throw around. Yeah. Hence, Danny Elfman. <laughs> um, and, and, and all this kind of uh, incredible uh, title sequence and things. Whereas oh, the X-Men... Beautiful. Beautiful. Honestly, some of these books we're going to talk about... It, it is like a ragtag bunch of underdogs desperately trying to piece a dream together, a collective dream they've all had, put it together on paper, <laughs> film it, and share it with the world. It is 
it is a miracle that, that this, you know, all worked. And yeah, <laughs> d- d- they didn't have the budget, and there's all these production problems and animation issues. It's a wild story. Do you, do you know what I love? I, 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 although I love it that 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 the we look look at things something like Endgame, the Avengers movies, and go, how did they do that? How did they how did they put together a film with all these superheroes? And they look at it and go, but they were already successful. They already worked. Yeah. It, it's just it's just. But then you look at something like this where everything was against it and everything was failing. And that's a way that's a way better story. I like that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah we all I like the underdog that. story, don't we? Yeah, I like that. So more things about it so throughout the series run uh, producers had to deal with quality control issues including attempts to cut costs as you said it was uh, an exercise in budget cuts which i have nothing but respect for uh request to change the tone of the series Wait, sorry 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 what do you have do you have respect for slashing budgets no 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 no, no. i have <laughs> well, right. well actually <laughs> depending on what budget we're talking about yeah sure now i have respect i have respect for, for coming out with a quality piece of work despite having your budget slashed. I like the ingenuity. Yeah, I like absolutely. the ability to think on your feet and go, hey, we, we have half money and we only shot, shot a quarter of it. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to have to do the rest of it on cardboard. You know, that I thought kind you were- I thought you were becoming the Scrooge of the past. And then they cut the budget. Oh, what a marvellous time. So much respect for the slashing of the budgets. (laughs) (laughs) But many of these shows would be cancelled. That maybe they should uh, decrease the surplus. (laughs) TV guy, I don't know. I love quoting that line from uh, Christmas Carol. I absolutely love it. I'm trying to work it into stand-up. When society returns to normal. Anyway, so they had requests to change the tone of the series as well to something a bit more child-friendly. <laughs> as well uh, to uh, integrate toys being shoaled into the show, and of course, I will always remember seeing. You know, I, I used to get Sonic the comic in the UK. Uh, I don't know if anybody in the UK. I'll explain for the, for the uh, Americans and and what have you out there, the non UK people. It was a. You know, Sonic is not a British character, right? Yeah, but so he had Sonic the comic. <laughs> okay, Sonic the comic was yeah. a British comic based on right, Sonic the Hedgehog okay. and okay. other characters in the Sega-verse, if you will. Uh, and sure. I don't, th- I think it was pretty, pretty much only sold in this country. I don't know if it was sold in America. If it was, shout at me, say, hey, I've still got issue number one, even though my mum tried to make me throw it away. I uh, remember seeing the in the cover, you had the advert, the big advert, and you had all the X-Men characters and the Blackbird that folded open and you could put them oh, in little pilot seats. Yeah, I I was I, I remember that vividly. I remember when we talked about the uh the action set for uh the what planet was it? What planet was the war planet, battle planet, the you know the, the playset. Sure. It was like that. It was like it was like nondescript He-Man style battle planets playset. Yeah. I just a public service announcement now. I know that there's a lot of you out there who who are well aware of the um, stereotypes surrounding um, fandom of Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> and I know that we all know two thirds are relentless, monstrous perverts and 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 uh, and debased devils. And I just want to say, Will Preston's not one of them. He's a good guy who just happens to like. A blue hedgehog. Okay, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible stigma that the other third of that fandom have to deal with, but it's not based in nothing. We all know that it's a red flag in terms of personality. But Will Preston, he's not one of those guys. And, and let's move on with the podcast, Will. Hey, let's stop the podcast for a second so I can furry shame Will. <laughs> 
my nephew, my 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 wonderful, uh, lovely nephew that I, I I adore and I miss hugely right Aww. now during this pandemic. Um, he 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 uh, he's he's not so much of a fan now, but when he was kind of between the ages of five, four and six, massive Sonic the Hedgehog mm. fan. Same, and all he, one, all he wanted to do uh, really was get look on my phone and look at Google pictures of Sonic the Hedgehog, and that is a minefield. Even with even with mm. safe search on, you go, oh, you just have to no no not that picture. Well, disturbing. I- I do another uh, video podcast. I don't know when the next episode is because I haven't spoken to the other guy in a little while. But uh, we did one. It's all about internet memes. And we did look at uh, Sonic stuff. And man, I I really winked at the abyss at that episode. <laughs> really give it, a, give it a wink. Let's put it that way. Uh, anyway, away from Sonic, away from furries, back to the X-Men. Something a bit more wholesome and American. Uh, so in its prime... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we're not going to talk about Gambit that much. Don't worry. Uh, it's- Wolverine and all the other murderers, all the <laughs> gamblers on the show. It's just paid murders with superpowers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in its prime, X Men garnered very high ratings for a Saturday morning cartoon, and like Batman the animated series, it received wide critical praise for its portrayal of many different storylines from the comics. Can I also add? I wouldn't mind, I'm not hinting, if we're going to do DC TakeOver, I would really, really love to do Batman the Animated Series at some point, if we ever have time. Make the direct plea to the Versaverse, see what their interest levels are like. We have said, we have confirmed, if you have missed it, amongst everything else we're doing this year, the Animated Series, the return to the MCU, Transformers is happening. How would the duck, which we have to reschedule... Marvel's one and only horror movie is happening. Nick Fury, <laughs> David Hasselhoff is happening. We will also be doing Marvel versus Marvel DC edition. Um, we're going to keep those plans under wraps until close to the time. But I will say we will not begin with the animated series. No, but there we go. Yeah, it's yeah, a possibility we'll- for the future. It's a definite, definite uh, possibility. Since you mentioned other things that you do around the world, Will... What's happening with you and the Twitch? Because you're the one of the team that does the twitching. Yeah, I, I just started doing my first two twi- I did my first two Twitches of the year's first week of the year. I had two weeks off over Christmas. I have to say, pretty well. Got some subscribers, got some new followers. Started playing. Yay, it was all good. Started playing off uh, Call of Duty Warzone, where I am not good at that game. Uh, <laughs> but yesterday, last night, I had a great uh, stream <laughs> of a game I've been addicted to for years. Uh, on and off and I decided hey if I'm addicted to it I might as well stream it so I've gone back to Kerbal Space Program a game uh, based heavily in physics where you have to launch build your own and launch spaceships and satellites there and it is it's there we go. so good it's, if you're obsessed <laughs> with engineering stuff like me but in a really touristy vanilla way uh, in a game way what do you what is it that you love Will trajectories yes trajectories <laughs> Orbiting trajectories, <clears throat> suborbiting trajectories, everything. Oh, so good. I'm I'm not one to talk really though, because if we delved, I, I mean, I you know I'm a terrible gamer. Um, yeah. Whenever the pandemic started, I, I, and t- to now, I still have not touched my PS4. <laughs> um, but but I have downloaded um, the the so back in my dark youth of the year 2000, there was 
like a version of football manager that mm. was for wrestling. You control the wrestling promotion. Yes. There's no graphics. It's all just point and click, and it's all just statistics. <laughs> <laughs> and I, when I tell you, I was I was a, a student at the time, and I can remember playing that game until six in the morning and thinking there's something not right with me. Uh, kind of a new updated version of it was released this year. Uh, mm. It's called Promotion Wars. I think you can head to promwars.co.uk. Uh, if you're a, a massive wrestling geek, um, and and I've been playing that recently, and that's been scr- that's been scratching an itch that, that I've needed to scratch for a while now. Um, so and that is equally dull. There's nothing exciting at all about it. There's no adventure. There's no gra- there's no graphics in this. It's all just um, th- uh, uh, this wrestler has injured their tibia. Um, he's going to be out for 57 weeks. Oh no, that's upset the pay scale. You know, there's a lot of that going on. <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's good. Behind the page. So the first time we use that jingle, and it's not accurate because we're sort of not going behind the page um, in this episode, simply because, as we said, the behind the page of the X-Men, the history of the X-Men, head to the archives, head to X-Men 2000 episode, where we we, we delve into the X-Men for the very first time. Um, We'll recap very briefly, but, but really... It's important to know that the MCU happens because of the success of movies like X-Men. And the X-Men movie happens because of the success of this cartoon series. You know, this really is a journey. It's hopefully a never-ending journey. It's a journey of how people first discover these characters. Um, It's a hashtag no gatekeeping journey. Because we know that the, the overwhelming majority of Marvel fans now come from the movies Hmm. which makes perfect sense so to gatekeep comic books and characters and history and trivia is stupid and will have no part of it um but but this cartoon series is 100 percent the reason that fox bought the movie rights to the x-men so briefly briefly behind the page before we go behind the uh screen i guess uh, the X-Men debut in 1963, teenage superheroes who have been mutated by the radiation of nuclear testing around the world. Uh, the idea of evolutionary, the next step in evolution would come a little bit later on in, in, in their stories. It's not a success. The X-Men gets cancelled in the 60s. It is really not Stan and Jack's best work at all. Then in in 1975, Marvel relaunched the comic book with Len Wein and Dave Cockrum creating brand new characters to replace the original X-Men. That's when you get Storm, Colossus, Wolverine, Nightcrawler, Banshee, all of these guys. And then Chris Claremont takes over the series as writer. And Chris Claremont is really the father of the X-Men. Okay, he writes a series for 16 years, and that is the golden age. That is when all the amazing stories, the Proteus Saga, the Phoenix Saga, the Dark Phoenix Saga, Days of Future Past, all of these stories get done. Fall of the Mutants, Extinction Agenda, the Morlocks, the Brood. I mean, it's just all spins out of this 16-year Chris Claremont era. And, and, and in those 16 years, Wolverine becomes this huge star this anti-hero this rebel that everybody thinks is the coolest character going 
And X-Men goes from being a cancelled series to Marvel's number one best-selling comic book. So that's the brief thing. You can get the full one in the archives. This cartoon series, Will, would not have happened without a woman by the name of Margaret Loesch. Yes. And maybe the MCU would not have happened without Margaret Loesch. So if you're of a certain age, your age, my age... yes. If you're of that that kind of millennial, certain millennial, older millennial age, Margaret Lowe shaped your entire childhood. Um, she was children's television for a really dynamic period of time. So she was an executive at ABC for children's programming, an executive at NBC for children's programming. She was the executive vice president of all of Hanna-Barbera, the Flintstones people. Mm. Um, she was a producer on Transformers, Muppet Babies, Care Bears, Dino Riders. Who remembers Dino Riders, guys? I G.I. remember. Joe, yeah. Fraggle Rock, My Little Pony, Dungeons and Dragons, Oof. Inhumanoids. What? What? Inhumanoids. Defenders of the Mother Flipping Earth. Super Friends. The list goes on and on and on. The shows that she has had a hand crafting and putting together and giving a start to is absolutely insane mm. and and that list really is so much of my childhood i don't know about you that's yeah that's my childhood right there <laughs> and if you haven't ever heard of the dino riders oh my god check them out it is the most fantastic concept for a series the toys i never had one i was desperate for dino riders toys they're so exp- i don't want the big ones they're so expensive anyway um so Margaret Loesch becomes... She's hired by Marvel Productions, which is kind of the precursor to Marvel Studios. And she's hired as President and Chief Executive Officer in 1984. Mm. At the time, Marvel Productions was pretty much just doing cartoons. Um, she's Stan Lee's boss. Um, and they develop a very close working relationship. Now, Margaret Loesch had already been working with Marvel because when she was over at Hanna-Barbera... Marvel were doing the comic books of things like Muppet Babies and Fraggle Rock mm. and you know some of the properties that she's in charge of at Hanna-Barbera. So she she becomes uh, president, chief executive officer. She works with Stan Lee and, and, and have, they have a really good relationship. And during the 80s, Loesch becomes really passionate that the X-Men are the perfect concept for a a hit animated series they're perfect for tie-in toys they're perfect for toys and and, and games and all of that and she kept pitching the x-men and again and again and she got the x-men pilot cartoon off the ground this is a pilot for an x-men cartoon series it was called pride of the x-men okay yes you've mentioned this before it's yeah it features the 80s team which involves Nightcrawler, Dazzler. Dazzler's in this, uh, <laughs> which is fantastic to make because she doesn't make it into kind of, she's not really a very prominent character beyond the 80s. And, and Colossus and Wolverine and Cyclops. And and it's about a young Kitty Pride joining the X-Men team, getting introduced to the team. She's our POV character, our point of view character, mm. like Jubilee is in, in the latest series. And, and whilst there was high praise for the animation of this series um it, it it kind of really fell apart in the there were lots of mistakes made when making it okay 
So anyone that's seen it, has, uh, the fans and, 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 and industry people react and say, well, the fans really, it has an overly campy feel. Um, <laughs> it, a campy feel that doesn't match the X-Men comics of the time. So X-Men fans are turned off by it because the Chris Claremont era comic books of X-Men are not campy at all. <laughs> Kitty Pride is like a whiny damsel in distress, which is not fun. There's no mm. social issues being dealt with, which was a hallmark of the series at the time. And Wolverine is Australian. What? Did they did they predict Hugh Jackman and just went we're gonna we're gonna do something here we're gonna tie him <laughs> with Hugh Jackman he's Australian that's what everyone thinks yeah. basically in the there was a huge breakdown in communication in production mm. now the, the one of the villains in the series is Pyro yes um, who is we, we saw the young kid version of him in the X Men movie in the comic books Pyro is an Australian supervillain right so in the script. Wolverine calls Pyro a dingo. He goes like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, carve you up, you dingo." But mm. the people in production don't know that Pyro is historically Australian, so they mm. see on the page Wolverine uses the word dingo. <laughs> ah, that must mean he is Australian. We need to cast an Australian. And oh, there's so the, the communication, the breakdown in communication means that it just keeps running with an Australian Wolverine. And then they even switch the script <laughs> around. So he no longer says it to Pyro, he says it to Toad, who has never been Australian. Not to mention the fact that Pyro in the, in the cartoon isn't Australian. So we get an Australian Wolverine. Anyway. Actually, was that, uh, wasn't, that, wasn't that a character from Neighbours, Toadie? Toadie, yes, Toadfish. Oh, that's that right. is a weird that is a weird link, isn't it? <laughs> Second appearance of neighbours on the podcast. I can't remember why we did it the first time around, but there we go. Yeah, me neither. So th- th- this pilot is not exactly what fans would have wanted. Mm. But that doesn't mean it's it's gonna not be something that TV networks want. So Loesch is pushing it to, to the TV networks. And she was interviewed about this time because it never happened. It never got sold. No one ever bought it. It only ended up being a VHS release in the late 80s mm. to go, go just to a, a very you know exclusive market. And Losha said this about Pride of the X-Men. I got very clear responses from the networks, almost without exception, the responses were the same, but always in different words. I can actually specifically quote one of the network executives. Margaret, you have to stop pitching us these comic properties. Don't you understand that comics are read by 18-year-old nerdy boys and that they'll be of no interest to anybody else? It's for a tiny little population of nerdy young men and it definitely won't make good television. Definitely won't make good television. Just because they're good comics doesn't mean they'll translate to television. The comics are so complicated and overwritten that talk, 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 they'll never make good television. Don't come back (laughs) here with another comic. That is what she's being told when she's trying to pitch the X-Men. As as the you know as as she is in Marvel productions, she's the the head. That is the most 
horrible response to a pitch I have ever heard. Because usually it's like, uh, we'll have our people call you. Thank you for coming. It's usually passive aggressive. If it's, if it's a let, if it's a you know, I think it's really important for us to take a moment here mm. to let that sink in. Yeah. We are now living in the post-MCU world yeah. where comic books and superheroes are seen as very viable entertainment, marketing, their brands, they bring money, they make money. We know people around the world of all creeds and colours, of all ages, will love superheroes when they're done in the right way. They are the new Star Wars. They are the new Star Wars. There's no doubt around it. Oh, yeah. But it's really important to remember and to try and appreciate if you weren't alive then or had no knowledge of it that there is a huge chunk of time, a massive chunk of time between the 60s, between the 30s or whatever to X-Men and Spider-Man in 2000 and 2002 where this is the view of comic books this is the view of superheroes. They're only for a tiny little population. They're only for nerdy young men. Girls, women, grown-ups, children, nobody... Like, this This is the dominant thought, right? In Hollywood, in, in, in anyone outside of people that are working for comic books companies and anyone that isn't a, isn't a fan. So... That's the pride of the X-Men. The pilot dies on the vine. Nothing happens with it. Then in 1990, Fox launched a new division of children's programming called Fox Kids. And they hire Margaret Loesch to be the president of Fox Kids. (laughs) So she gets hired to run essentially this children's network. And what's the first thing she does? (laughs) <laughs> she picks up the f- Margaret Loesch picks up the phone she calls Stan Lee and she says Stan I couldn't sell the X-Men cartoon but now I'm running the network I can damn well buy it <laughs> it's got the green light it's going to happen she, t- she says to Stan I told Stan we were going to do the X-Men We were going to prove to the world that it's going to work and it's going to work great. And then, then I said, we're going to do the same with (laughs) Spider-Man. That's my master plan. And then she says, that's exactly what I did. Because Margaret Loesch is a badass B-word, man. (laughs) You people wouldn't buy the X-Men from me? Fine. Well, now I run the network and I'm going to buy the X-Men. I'm going to make it happen. That's just the most... In we owe her so much, right? <laughs> it's insane. It's insane. This is not. I mean, she she's a woman of incredible foresight because around the same time, mm. she puts the entire deal together to create and launch the Power Rangers. She puts that in place and puts it on the Fox. Oh uh, kids wow! Network. She's just she has been in this business doing children's programming for so long. She knows what she's doing, man. So Loesch and an executive at Fox called Sidney um, Iwinter vowed not to make the same mistakes as Pride of the X-Men. Loesch brings uh, Helms Sabin of Sabin Entertainment, famous for Power Rangers, and Graz Entertainment. They hired Eric Leewald to be the executive story producer. 
Now, Eric Leewald is such a big part of why the X, the storytelling on the X Men, worked so well, along with all the other wonderfully very talented uh, people that were involved there. But Eric Leewald is the executive story producer. He had um, before this he'd he'd been a writer and a story editor and story producer for favorites like uh, Rescue Rangers, Tailspin. Gummy Bears, ah. Darkwing Duck, the Beetlejuice cartoon. The Beetlejuice cartoon was way better than it had any right to be. Actually, quite frankly, all of them were like that. All of them were were <laughs> yeah. like, oh, they're Disney? Yeah, but they're really good, man. Darkwing Duck, Gummy Bears. So Eric yeah, Leewald yeah, yeah. um, is, is a real key figure in this. And they work with Bob Harris, who is a legendary Marvel uh, editor. To fill the staff of writers there with comic book geeks, um, Will uh, Muni... Oh, man, I'm going to butcher this. Uh, <laughs> Muniot. Will Will Muniot, Larry Houston, and um, Eric Leewald's wife, Julia Leewald, all came on board as writers. There are some two really great books written about this period of time, the production of the X-Men series, that I really, really highly recommend them. So Eric Leewald has basically made, done two books on this. He He's written a book called Previously on X-Men, which is how every X-Men cartoon started beyond the first episode. Um, and that's a really great insight into what it was like for him coming on board and putting us all together. The production, this has got all the, the dirt on... The the issues with the animation studio, mm. it's got all the dirt on the production values, how they were going to get it done. You know, he's not an X-Men fan and he didn't know these characters and how were they going to get it up and running. And then uh, Eric and Julia Leewald have a gorgeous, gorgeous book called X-Men, The Art and Making of the Animated Series, which is packed with awesome artwork, character designs, Loads of stuff like that, plus a lot of the behind-the-scenes things on those. Those are both really, really great. I mean, if you were a fan of the series, I think any fan of the series would love the the art and making of it. That's a really great book. If you really want to dig into all the stuff that went on behind the scenes in the, in the, the writing and the producing of it, previously on the X-Men is a great, great read for that. Um, you can get that on your Kindle and things like that. Now, Eric Leewald, not a fan of... Um, of, of X-Men, as in not a comic book reader. Mm. But he has said that he felt that was a benefit for his role overseeing all the scripts. So he had an he outside said, had view. To... Absolutely. And he had a view mm. that is not beholden to comic books, not beholden to fandom. And I do think that's really important. Um, as long as you're open to conversation dialogue, as long as you're open to a fan saying, yeah. uh, this is why it's important for that character, and you can have so he said, I had to learn these characters quickly and understand what it was about their nature and stories that made fans so fanatical. My and, and my head writer, Mark Eden's entire agenda was to tell compelling, heroic stories that suited TV animation. Um, they struggled to find... Not struggled, but it was an ongoing process finding the right tone for yeah. that series. They wanted to do serious storytelling, serious adult storytelling, but in a children's medium. So the pitfalls of Pride of the X-Men 
is going way too far into campy, this is for kids, yeah. right? And not really respecting the material to a certain extent. Um, Loesch has said of, of the series, we try not to lose the magic of the X-Men itself. We've tried not to skew it so young that we would alienate the comic book reader or the older comic book fans. It is a challenge. Um and that Marvel legend Bob Bob Harris spoke of the series at the time, and he was involved in, you know, putting some things together. I think they've made a really, really strong effort to mirror what goes on in the comics. I think they've tried to see what will, what we've been successful at for thirty years in Marvel Comics and translate it very well to Saturday morning TV. And I I don't know about you, man, but I think it's quite obvious from looking at it. And I don't know how... I mean, I do remember as a kid that what I loved about it was that it was it was episodic like the comic books were. This is like the first mm. outside media project to do a Marvel series as an ongoing narrative. Yeah. To present all the issues of the characters as a soap opera, to present all these fantastical... Battles, long-running character arcs, story arcs, villains coming back as ongoing. Every episode, it, the story continues, just like in the comic books. Whereas, if you look at any other cartoon series, including the Batman animated series, that mm. is not the case. They're doing they're doing episodes that exist pretty much entirely on their own. Yeah, right. There might be a change, like as you go on with the Batman animated series, um. Dick Grayson becomes Nightwing. And from that point on, he's always Nightwing, not Robin, right? Yeah. But aside from like a, an overall change like that, and that's usually like they start a new series, and the new series is, oh, he's not Robin anymore, he's Nightwing, crack on. But aside from that, the story, unless it's a two-parter, yeah. the stories don't do that. This, it didn't matter if it was a one-parter or a two-parter or whatever, it all carried on. Wolverine's the mystery of Wolverine's memories carries on the the love the the the, the impossible love story between Rogue and Gambit carries on the love triangle between Wolverine Cyclops and Chief you know they all the overarching things about Mister Sinister certain characters coming back from the dead you know it's it's incredible it's incredible and and then they get to do things like the Phoenix Saga which is an epic and they get to do other you know long running stories and and they they they've never really done anything like that. x-men really paved the way for what we see in in the mcu to a certain extent incredible and the success is huge as well as you said viewing figures were great but it it, it did mean that marvel could merchandise the hell out of these characters <laughs> lunch boxes thermos flasks Pajamas, bedspreads, the you know, really, really successful toy line. Which, when I see pictures of them now, I get a flutter in the stomach because that's <laughs> yeah. a really huge part of my childhood, and that's and they look they look incredible. Like we said this in the X Men episode. Why would I? The the X Men in the movie are wearing black <laughs> leather trousers and jackets. The toys. Or a series of people wearing exactly the same outfit with a slightly different haircut and face. That is the dullest thing I can imagine. When I was a kid, and and, and, and this cartoon series out, these toys were incredible. 
all the different costumes and and you just you know that's exciting and it's vibrant and it's so that toy line was huge like you said the the x-wing fighter jet and all of that stuff they even got the the mcdonald's in on the action and signed up for a, a happy meal deal which is a very coveted thing and and this success got fox to sit up pay attention and um margaret loesch is the one man this is the reason the deal happens she was asked like do you think that the cartoon series played a role in fox buying the movie rights and she said um absolutely i could be more specific i was the one that (laughs) said to fox the fox features movie group they have to do an x-men movie i took the product i marched it into fox feature division and the rest is history um so we thank you Margaret Loesch and we thank you everyone involved in this series because what do you think can you see a a, a line of connection from this to where we are with the MCU oh totally I mean as, as long as you make a line of connection with the first X-Men film the rest of it plays out as you would expect yeah yeah I mean obviously Spider-Man oh Spider-Man is a, yeah. is a, is a the Spider-Man movie made such an overwhelming amount in the box office that, but but this was the X-Men 2000 movie is the first, you know, Marvel movie that really got people to take notice. Blade is a little bit, as we said when we covered it, check it out in the archive. It's a bit of a misnomer because it's really a Wesley Snipes vampire movie in the nineties, <laughs> and Marvel comics don't really get mentioned. Well, X-Men the movie is a little different and. Would not have happened without this series we're looking at right now. MVMM Marvel versus Marvel Mailbag. Jingles all the way on the new, 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 new sound of Marvel <laughs> versus Marvel coming at you live, not live, recorded <laughs> on. On the podcast, it just sends me into total uh, DJ mode, uh, local radio DJ mode. Yeah. Uh, traffic and weather later on. Um, <laughs> News. <laughs> Sorry, got the parts reference. So, Will, you've got a, a bursting a bursting sack of letters uh, and, and correspondence. Oh. People can get in touch with us by uh, dropping a line to Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com. Please remember, we want your thoughts and memories of the Marvel Animated Universe series. We're going to be talking about Spider-Man, Iron Man, um, the Hulk series, the Fantastic Four, and the Silver Surfer cartoons that were all a part of this 90s explosion of Marvel. So get your memories and thoughts in right now. If you've got one for like, we don't know quite what order we're going to do them in. So please just keep writing and sending them in. And the first letter you've got there is from my like one of the one of my best friends in my life um, from from when I was a kid, Stephen Tooley, Stephen Tooley Biggs. And I'm really really pleased that he, he put some thoughts down because they stirred a lot of memories in me. Um, Stephen was the first friend I ever had that read comic books, ever. And we didn't become mates until mm. we were, like, 12, I think. So the first 12 years of my life, like, all through primary school and stuff, no one else read comics, and I felt like an alien in in, in, in the UK. And then I met Stephen at, at big school, <laughs> high school, 
And not only was this guy Big the school. cool, like he was, he was so much cooler than me and my my buddies as well. Um, but he was also a comic book fan, which was just awesome. And we really, really bonded over over that. And we really bonded over the X Men cartoon series. We talked about it endlessly. My parents to this day, when his name comes up, will will remind remind me of these because because we had no comic book shop to begin with in in my hometown so we would take these car journeys to stoke on trent to go to the comic book shop there and the entire journey there and back me and steven would just like talk x-men at each other and my parents would be like <laughs> Can you just stop now oh yeah well then and then this happened and then that happened um and this was an incredible time if you were someone like me who who kind of lived in this bubble of no one else likes these even knows about these characters and then they are on saturday morning and everyone's watching them everyone's watching them and everyone you can talk to people about them and 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 then around you know not too long after this within a year or two a comic book shop opens in, in our hometown, me and Stephen's hometown for the first time. And so now we can we can watch these cut these cartoons Saturday morning and then we can meet in town and go to a comic book shop. And then we can kind of go go to the place after school is finished. <laughs> and you know, it was it was incredible. And then eventually um the, 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 the posh comic book shop shut down due to I mean, he did a midnight flit, so he owed a lot of money all over the place. But two mm. of the lads that worked in the comic book shop, uh, they um, acquired some of the stock <laughs> uh, in lieu of uh. payments that weren't made to them, and they set up their own comic book <laughs> shop in, in town. And me and Stephen basically then lived there. It was a little store. It's still open to this day. It's still run by one of the same owners to this day. Shout out to Phil, um, one of the two fat goblins. And me and and Stephen, we lived there every day after school. <laughs> um and yeah, I, I, so I, I wanted to I wanted to get Stephen's thoughts on this really unique time, I think, for if you were a Marvel fan um at this age. So please take it away after I sh- shut the hell up now. That's okay. I'm happy to read your friend's big letter. (laughs) So the amazing Stephen wrote in to say, this was and will always have a special place in my heart. If you felt different growing up, it definitely resonated with you and I was besotted with strong female characters. The voice acting was out of this world and I remember shedding tears at the pure emotion of Jean Grey saying goodbye in the Phoenix Saga and was happy the character hadn't been killed by all-time favourite non-real redhead. A birthday (laughs) present. (laughs) I was about to say, hasn't he heard of Jessica Rabbit? Uh, (laughs) Boo. uh, Boo, boo. Lusty will. Uh, (laughs) A birthday present of the X-Men cartoon maker combining it with the 90s Spider-Man one was one of the best things I ever had, and I spent hours making my own episodes and imitating Beast and Storm, who often had some of the best poetic speeches. So stop, stop you right there, right? Yeah, stop me there. Do you know what the cut the cartoon maker was this CD-ROM game? Yeah, I remember. Where yeah, and, and uh, not only could you not only could you put like the special effects in, you could colour them all in, uh, and you could 
put in like power and lightning bolts but you if you plugged a, a special microphone into your pc <laughs> you could record the the voiceover and the dialogue man it was awesome it was awesome why aren't there a lot of them to this day they used to be everywhere sorry we are going on a tangent now they used to be uh, like they had a simpsons one they had a 3d one they had all these different movie makers and as kids it was the most mind-blowing thing because you'd be like we could make yeah. our own little movie and we don't need a camera and you just put the characters in and we'd record and we would laugh at every single little thing <laughs> and, and and i don't think i've ever felt that much joy to this day again and it's, you never will, because yeah, our lives are over. And now, what they got? TikTok. 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 That's the sound of a clock passing by. That's all I think of when I look at a TikTok. Yeah. I, I, I TikTok. Sound... <laughs> it means the Reaper's getting closer. That's what TikTok means. <laughs> <laughs> I sound so bitter. Anyway, back to the lovely letter. Um I used to quote these a lot. We spent hours watching these, Rob, taping them and watching them until the tapes didn't work anymore. I would get excited as the seasons progressed and the characters would get different costume changes or hairstyles. And it just made me love the X-Men comics even more. I felt like someone shared my love and passion for these characters and storylines. The details were fab. It wasn't cool at the time, but it was amazing. I love watching the DVDs with my own children and love the ease of this on Disney+. Plus. The last few seasons seem to lack the same budget as the first couple, but still enjoyable. The quality of this show gave me high expectations of all future X-Men shows and movies. Nothing compares. I, I think that's um, that's quite that's quite key as well. I think this this series ruined me for <laughs> like nothing else. Re- I mean, I, I'm not saying this is a perfect. This is not perfect, obviously, and it is still a children's cartoon. Yeah, but it's still like unless. Honestly, unless you were all wearing the coloured costumes, I feel like you're not an X-Men thing. <laughs> I feel like you're just pretending. You're, you're, you're giving it a go, but you're not really doing it. Um, and, you know, not none of the... No, no Phoenix saga that they've attempted to do a dozen times now will ever come close to the one in this. Mm. Who else you got, Will? Mm, I've got uh, Jack Harris who said, generally regard this as one of the best shows I've ever watched. I Whoa. recently rewatched them all on Disney+, and one of the main reasons why I'm a comic book fan is because of this series. Some fantastic episodes like Wolverine vs. Alpha Flight, Rogue contemplating whether to take The Cure so she can touch again, Storm returning to her homeland, Days of Future Past, and especially the Phoenix Saga resonate with me even to this day. Cahal J. Dodd will... Uh, or is it Cahal? I think it's Cahal, because I have a mate who's Cahal, but I always get it wrong to annoy him. Uh, Cahal J. Dodd will always be Wolverine for me. He's the one that captured Wolverine's ruggedness and personality perfectly. I remember watching it when I was four and was genuinely hooked on the show and the 90s Spider-Man series until I was about 11 or 12 when I started being obsessed with Birmingham City. Not the best decision I ever made. I wouldn't be surprised if I have about 90 to 95% of the toys and figures when my family went to Florida when I was six. In 98, my f- parents purposely bought about three empty suitcases to buy X-Men figures that were only sold in America. That, I feel right now powerfully jealous of. <laughs> like, that's just... I wish that was me! Yeah. I uh, go. 
I, I think I think my uncle played for Birmingham City. Really? Well, he's he's not by blood. Uh, Richie Moran. He he, he was a, he's an ex professional football player. He used to I think he used to play for Birmingham City. A southerner up here. Mm. I I know I, I know I know I know. <laughs> <laughs> he's a six and a half foot tall Irish Nigerian guy who grew up in South London. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Is there any, any, any more for as well? Uh, we've got one more here from Ian Hewitt, who wrote in to say, uh, my friend takes a couple of episodes of me from Sky. The first one I saw was Beauty and the Beast before it ended up being on uh, Terrestrial. I'd been a Marvel fan since the early 80s, but only started regularly buying US comic books around 1989 to 1990. There was still a stereotypical view of superheroes in mainstream media at that point, but I knew differently through my reading material. Seeing the X-Men in their then-current costumes on my telly was mind-blowing, like my best-kept secret being exposed to the world. (laughs) Yes. I feel that, big time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I remember it when I thought, oh, other people like Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. I thought I was the only one. Uh, how stupid I was. Um, I was a Marvel fan. So although I love the Batman animated series, and still do to this day, there was always a slight disconnect for me there. X-Men was exactly what I wanted and needed at this point. Actually, I think I first read it in previews, that huge monthly comic catalogue thingy this was a show that wasn't afraid of mixing up modern day storylines with stuff from the 60s and 70s the little unnamed cameos that snuck in here and there including deadpool and spidey oh. yeah I, I saw a clip on youtube where they snuck deadpool in and i was like what deadpool in a children's cartoon are you mad shared universe man shared I universe know, i know hinted at the wider universe although the makers knew they were on shaky legal ground doing so, since character rights were already splintering away to different studios. X-Men was phenomenal, aside from Jubilee's fairy tale theatre or whatever it was called, and you can definitely feel its influence throughout Fox's movies. It was groundbreaking. Yeah, I think we've we've heard a lot a lot about that, haven't we, really? Mm. Um groundbreaking introduced like getting people to read comics for the first time we see there affirming to people who are fans that you know this this it's it's almost like it's it's saying other people care about this because it is good you know you're not you're not weird for liking this i think that's what the affirmation the affirmation is you're not because i think i i've certainly and i know steven did as well we felt weird being the only ones liking it and especially at a time when we were 12, 13 or whatever, and, 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 and upwards, mm. when all our other friends, you know, there's a desperate tug at that age, who were misses, to oui. not be viewed as a child anymore. You're desperate yeah. to be a teenager and be viewed as an adult and be smashing things and drinking and shagging around and doing drugs and stuff. and Or just, you know, I like shooting movies not baby cartoons there's the desperate kind of pull at that mm. so you definitely feel like a big outsider so it was really good to, to have something along the lines of lots of people like this you're not weird for liking it <laughs> speaking of not being weird for liking it another seamless segue um <laughs> 
if you feel weird for liking this show, don't worry. There's a place for you. There's a community for you. It's called Patreon. And it's where we put our best, best work. (laughs) Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Marvel versus Marvel. What you're getting right now, folks, is you're getting the best content around and basically what you're doing is you're you're stealing it aren't you aren't you stealing it they are thieves right they're not paying for it are they thieves thieves no so getting this all of this all the hours that we put into this the hours the days it takes to write research and put the show together the hours and hours it takes to Record it, the hours it takes to edit it, the time and money invested in them jingles. It's no small <laughs> thing. And you're sat there consuming it greedily for free without putting any cheddar down. Don't you feel dirty? Don't you feel wrong? Don't you want to get clean? Well, we can help you yes. get clean. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel is where you do the right thing. It's where you do the thing you need to do. And plenty have been doing it. Because Marvel versus Marvel on Patreon is where you get access to our bonus episodes. Our bonus episodes, which cover everything we talk about to the nth degree and more on this show. We, we expand and shoot off in other directions. We, we've got the episodes that are just there at the £3 tier, where these are mini-episodes for people who want to know about all the different Captain Americas they've been over the years. They want to know about who are the worst X-Men that have ever walked the Earth. They want to know about the uh, Spider-Man clone saga. And then, then there's the big, meaty, beefy, full-length episodes. I'm talking the Cosmic Annihilation Wars with the Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm talking... Superior Spider-Man saga with Dr. Octopus beating Spider-Man. I'm talking the one we recorded last month, Will, which was Punisher Max. That is our first and so far our only explicit show. Explicit content. We drop lots of kinds of... Absolutely. (laughs) Bombs flying this way and that. And that's all available for you over on Patreon, as well as early access to uh, every mm-hmm. episode. You get brand new episodes of the main show. You get to listen to them three days early. You get to hear them on a Friday. Um, and you get to spend the weekend with me and Will. And the main main pull is those yes. full-length bonus episodes. Um, Al's just upped his pledge. He was in at the £3 level. It got to the new lockdown. What did Al's do? He looked at the world around him burning. <laughs> he looked at everything <laughs> being shut. And Owls said to himself, I'm doing the right thing already. I need to get even cleaner. I need to pay them boys and I need to get some of them full length bonus episodes. He upped his pledge. He became a VIEP. That means he's contributed Ooh. towards better sound quality, production values, the hosting, everything that we need to spend out for to keep this show on the air. Thank you, Owls, for that. Um, who else have we heard from? Uh, Cody wrote in, loved the end of the year quiz, guys. Loved it. 
I think it would be a great cr- tradition to keep up every year. What do you think about that, Will? I, I, I as long as the questions are a little easier, I might. Ah, that's not how the game plays, brother. All right, uh, all right. Cody said it was, it was it was fun going over everything, playing the quiz, and to see the things I struggled remembering. Mm. Good, good one for you, Cody. Um, we know a lot of you've been playing along at home and been sending in uh, your um, your scores. If you beat Will's quiz, King Canuck got in touch to say, "I just dropped into your ten dollar tier, ten pound tier, King Canuck." But there you go. Ooh. I've been a listener Ooh. since around right around the time your Avengers episode dropped. I've been meaning to properly write for a while. I'm now going to totally download those bonus episodes and put them in my to-listen list. Yes! Oh, like Oof. you know you should. Yes. It's a list It's a list that never gets shorter, but I know that you guys do excellent content. Rob absolutely sold me on the Joe Kelly Deadpool collection. And the origin of Venom. Yeah, um, King Canuck um, dropped us a line on, on Twitter as well, which you can follow at Marvel Versus, and, and, and basically said, he, based on your recommendations, I've bought these comics, which is wonderful. Thank you. That's what we want. We want people to spin off from this show and, and indulge their love of reading. Uh, King Canuck says, I'll be starting those uh, soon. Um, it won't take long to get through them. I love DC's shining paragons and larger-than-life situations, especially Green Lantern, for the fact that you get chosen and the inherent creativity of the power of Green Lantern, but I wholeheartedly agree with your preferring Marvel due to the more emotional core of it. Yes. Thank you, King Canuck. Thanks for getting in touch um, and, and dropping, uh, dropping out to us. Parting with that cheddar... Making sure you do the right thing. Keep the show on the air. Well, full-length bonus episode this month. I'm going to surprise Willie P. Because he does not know about this yet. We're going to, this month on Patreon, we're going to head to one of the most popular X-Men stories of all time. This is a little bit inspired by this episode, but it's a little bit more inspired by someone uh, who got in touch to us, showed us their X-Men collection. Um, we're going to be shining a light, a shining light. Sorry, in the in the in the nineties um, at Marvel, we're going to take a a drop by the Age of Apocalypse. Ooh, where I like I up like. is down, hmm. where black is white, where Sentinels are being used to protect humanity, where Apocalypse rules the world, and where Magneto leads the X Men. So that will be. Our full-length bonus episode in January uh, on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Excited about all of that. Oh, one more. Um, uh, it's an email that slipped you by, Will. Do you remember oh, our friend Emily from, Emily from Oklahoma? Oh, yes. Yes, I remember. She got in touch. Um, we, we talked about her. She wrote into us um, in the past... Which we remember with great fondness. We were initially yeah. concerned that perhaps only, uh, you know, orid, orid white boys like us were listening to the show. And then Emily got in touch and said there's some fantastic 
women listening to the podcast as well and Emily got back in touch to say hey guys I'm catching up on your podcasts and thought you might enjoy this little easter egg that I saw <laughs> in Pixar's newest release Soul there is a soul named 22 in the pre-world realm I haven't seen the movie so I'm not quite sure about all of this but there you go she has been through many mentors in her time including a lot of famous names which she has displayed on her wall one of these famous names is none other than Jack Kirby. Maybe oh. this is Pixar's way of making up for the whole Incredibles debacle. Wow. Fantastic. Great eye. Well spotted, Emily. Thank you for letting us know. We love hearing from you. Um, we love that you're still with us. Sometimes you hear from a fan, and then you don't hear from them for the months, and you think, what did we, what did we do? Did we drive them away? <laughs> but no. Uh, it sometimes it takes a little effort to write a uh, to write an episode to write an email to us about an episode. Yeah, indeed. Without further ado, I really think we need to uh, get ready, Will, and get into that deep dive. Right. So let's press play now. First of all, before we get on, get on with the story. We have to. We have to uh, gaze upon. Oh yeah, the audible elephant in the room, which is of course iconic, iconic, iconic title sequence uh, oh. to the X Men cartoon. What a fact! We can't play it now for uh, copyright reasons, obviously. But oh my god, what a what a! I tell a you what, we could do, Will. Yeah, what could we do? We could sing it. <laughs> <laughs> This is going to come out. Bing bong. I was tempted to see if I could just get one of the many heavy metal covers that were on the internet of it, which are really good. I was listening to one the other day and I was like, this is perfect. They got it down perfectly. But yeah, this is a thing. It's a Saturday morning cartoon, as we know, with a lot of cast of people. And it's not just the theme tune, which is brilliant. I mean, it's typical 90s Fox kids. It's that, oh, let's do electro, heavy metal sounding, exciting music, dramatic whatnot. Oh. And what do we say during the X-Men movie? I think we said this movie series would be vastly improved if they <laughs> played this song. Like when the X-Men are, you know, get they play like kind of they all want to do like the Danny Elfman kind of epic Superman Batman music and that's not what X-Men needs. I am fine with the film X-Men theme tune which I do remember. Yeah. Yeah. But when they're getting ready to kick some ass, when they're, when they're walking, you know, they're all suited up and they're walking about to go into a fight, you want this music? <laughs> on okay, Twitch, maybe it's on Twitch I, I've, I've stopped doing this now, but I used to do sound things on Twitch. Uh, so if something happened in the context of a game, I'd say, hey, I press a button on my little, little control panel and sound, a little bit of music would play, but I can't do that because of Twitch's copyright. And if I started a fight with something, I would usually have the X-Men theme ready to go and it made the fight much better. <laughs> it was quite funny. Yeah. <laughs> so what? What do you? I mean, it's just it. It. You think you said off air something about it perfectly summing up. It, it gives you. It tells you what these characters are. Right. Yeah, it tells. It tells. It, it tells shows you, what, you. It's 
thing is, it's like it, it's a cartoon series. So you're playing the kids, you mostly mostly kids uh, or young teens, and it's like they usually have a lower attention span. So it's like you got to grab them, you got to show them what this is about. So you got to really, it's just like making your pitch. The, you show people flying in, punching robots, doing you know doing doing stuff, doing their powers, do, and you're basically, you basically here's the names, here's the characters, here, and pretty much hinting what yeah. they do. Yeah, we, most of them fly. Most of them fly. <laughs> so you know, it tells you it tells you all the names of the good guys, but then who do mm. they who are they rushing to to fight? They're rushing to fight some bad guys, right? Yeah, this is the thing. They're rushing to fight some bad guys, and we feel like in the space of 10 seconds, 10, 20 seconds, we know the good guys. And then you look at the bad guys, and they're doing that whole Marvel thing where it's t- two groups of people running at each other. And look at the bad guys going, Who are they? I want their names. So now I have to watch the show to find out who they are. Well, how about you don't have to watch the show? Because. Papa Rob's got the names. Oh, he pressed pause like he did an X Men two when they're hacking the computer. I, <laughs> I didn't. I've been watching this since I was twelve. I didn't need to press pause. I know oh, exactly who's on there, I except know. for one mystery character that oh, even okay. I don't know. All right. So we've got Magneto, of course, flying above as the as a sort of a sinister M Bison in in yep. command. We've got Juggernauts who appears in the series. We've got a character called Thunderbird. He, he's a Native American type. Who uh, po- Him or possibly his brother make an appearance later on. More on Thunderbird later. Then we've got Mysterious Bald Pink Guy. <laughs> who I did not know then and do not know now. Then we've got Pyro, who, who, who appears in the yep. show. He's the flame dude. We've got Mystique. She she turns up, I think, very briefly. Oh, she's got a lovely part. Sabretooth's there, of course, and he's a major player. And the last guy is Avalanche Sans Helmet, for some reason. A pyro and Avalanche uh, and Mystique are <laughs> all, all classic, uh, classic villains and, and turn up in um, Pride of the X-Men as well. So, bald pink guy, for a long time, I remember hearing on the interweb forums that it was thought to be a classic Hulk villain called the Gargoyle who looks a bit similar to this dude but the answer is no and the only reason I know the answer is because it's in Eric Lewald's book previously on X-Men some new information Ah, has come to light that he he put into his book Um, he spoke to Sorry. I can't right? hear that phrase. I can't hear that phrase. Some information has come to light without thinking of Big Lebowski. Some information okay. has come to light. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Um, so he spoke to uh, Larry Houston, who was the main designer of the intro. Um, and uh, he found out, Eric Newwood found out that the bald guy is a mistake by the animation studio, ACOM. And Yay. they would not fix it. They would not fix it. So it isn't anybody. Um, <laughs> it isn't anybody. Was well, so whoever should... he's meant to have been has been long forgotten. I reckon they should have given him an unofficial nickname like Captain Placeholder. <laughs> this was where someone else was supposed to be, so he just put a pink man there. <laughs> in some in some websites online, you will find he is he is named as oh gosh, I can't think whatever the the gargoyle's real name is, but it's not the gargoyle. Uh, okay. It's definitely, according to the 
senior story producer, Eric Lewald, and according to Larry Houston, who designed the intro, that is nobody. That is a mistake and an aberration. So there you go. <laughs> so yeah, that's the theme tune. Great theme tune. Uh, I think all cartoons great need a great sequence. theme tune, otherwise they are done. Yeah, I mean, think about all the all-time I, great I, cartoons. I like... Yeah, I, I like it if the song sings about who they are and what they are. Like, flying high, kicking ass, we are the heroes of tomorrow. I like that kind of thing. I, lo- I love that in a... See, when you say you that, know, all I can like hear gummy is... Like, Gummy Bears tells you you need to know about the Gummy Bears. Do you, do you remember that they made a uh, Saturday morning cartoon out of Conan the Barbarian? Yeah, and it's like yes, Conan the adventurer, Conan warrior without fear. And it was like, really? Yeah, that's what I need to hear. That's exactly that's, what I need to hear no, no, every I mean, week, telling no, me who they are. No, I mean, like, really making a Saturday morning cartoon out of Conan the Barbarian? I mean, oh, they did, well, they did it with yeah. Rambo and RoboCop, admittedly. Later, they did. Yeah. Hey, right, the money. Hmm. So RoboCop was made by Marvel Productions. The, the RoboCop. Cartoon series. Oh, I thought you meant the film then. I was like, what? Okay, no. Yeah. Margaret Loesch is the mm. woman who made Robocop, Robocop to happen. Do you know where the money for the X-Men, this X-Men, uh, or, or Pride, Pride of the X-Men, mm. the money for Pride of the X-Men came from Margaret Loesch and the people at Marvel Productions going, let's not make a 13th episode of Robocop this year. <laughs> let's take the money out of the budget. And make an X Men pilot. So thanks, wow. <laughs> they 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 missed one episode off their schedule, and we got Pride of the X Men, which brought us here. So there you go. Give us the thirteenth episode, or there will be trouble. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a big fan he, of Robocop. He's doing a Robocop impression. That's what he's doing. I, I like I like Robocop. It's a fantastic satire. Uh, yeah. It's, anyway, it's a perfect film. Robocop is a perfect, is a perfect film. film. It's a perfect film. Agreed. Anyway, shall we get on with the uh, with the storyline now that we've uh, fanboyed over the music? I think it's now time to talk about stories. So, on the I'm mu- sorry. No, no, no. We have critically analysed a important piece of pop culture. I don't want to have you denigrate this show that we work so hard on. Fanboy. We contextualised... <laughs> Modern Americana that affected uh, global um, uh, culture. I really love the way that Rob solved this as more highbrow without ever using the term graphic novel. <laughs> it was the phrase hanging in the air. And he's going he's to say graphic novel, isn't he? He's going to say graphic novel, and he didn't. I, I only use graphic novel when it's a graphic novel, right? Oh. Comic books are not graphic novels. They're comic books. All right? I well, used, let's do this again. I, I, Watchmen I, I, is not a graphic novel. Not driving the Boys is not a graphic novel, right? Flippin' <laughs> <laughs> heck. I, 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 I feel like I've been misusing that term. If you want to uh, be lectured on what graphic novels are, uh, you can find me on Cameo, and, <laughs> and I'll do a special one-off video just for you. 600 quid. 600 quid very well yeah, spent to be shouted at anyway on the news 
A reporter explains that there was violence in the downtown area, believed to have been started by a mutant. The attacker, Sabretooth, is shown taking on police and civilians in a fit of rage. The reporter claims that this is fueling anti-mutant hysteria that is spreading across the nation. Elsewhere, a man turns off the television, ending the report as the car explodes for the camera. He tells his wife, Martha, that she is one of them and needs help. Martha wonders how he could have registered her with the mutant control agency, like she is some sort of criminal getting in the face. The man explains that the agency is not a prison, but an outreach program to help unfortunate people. At the top of the stairs, their mutant daughter, Jubilee, overhears. She wonders why this is happening to her, since she used to be a normal kid. She crouches to the ground and begins to cry. So Jubilee's parents should be more worried, less worried about her being a mutant, more worried that her daughter, how her daughter's trying to dress. And I'm not mean the kind of, <laughs> where do you think you're going dressed like that, Missy, after kiss them boys at the jazz club? No, more like, she looks like if synthwave music was a person. <laughs> I mean, she's got the, she's got the, the, the weird 80s retro futuristic specs, the, the, this pink and yellow clothing. I mean, I think she stole some of it. I think some of it was leftover costume from uh, April O'Neil from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. I think that's what she looked. She looks like a keyboard player in the background of Top of the Pops in the mid eighties. <laughs> <laughs> Keep feeling fascination. <laughs> that's the look they gone for it, and it's like it. It makes me realise that the early nineties had this wonderful link with the late eighties, where it was that little buffer period where the eighties was like, hey, glitz glam, and then the nineties happened. It's like, uh, minimalist, minimalist, well, and grungy. To be fair, that's because Jubilee is not a 1990s character. Is she an 80s character? She's an 80s character, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, they could have 90s her up. Put her in a Nirvana, oversized Nirvana t-shirt. I don't know. If you if you see how she's drawn by Jim Lee in, mm. in those incredible, you know, early 90s comics, it it's it's like a costume without it being a costume, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the oversized green sunglasses, the bright yellow Mac... She's always, you know, chewing bubble gum. Um, it's just, it's very, yeah. I think it, I think it, 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 it looks much better on the page than it does on the screen. Somehow, she does make me think she is a, a non-romantic uh, second, second lead in a cyberpunk novel like Neil Stevenson's <laughs> Snow Crash. The the girl, the fifteen-year-old girl in Neil Stevenson's Snow Crash, is that. Exact girl right there. That kind of independent kind she'd of sassy. Very, she'd look very... She wouldn't look out of place in, in the movie Hackers, the greatest movie of all time. <laughs> she, she'd look... Yes. <laughs> I love that film for so many... I, I love it for the soundtrack mainly because I love the music in that film. But yeah, good film. Good, good shout, mate. Good shout. You got me there. You surprised me. <laughs> Anyway, so speak, let's, let, let's get away from Jubilee uh, uh, as a dress style uh, and talk about her family. So is this, are, are Jubilee's parents like this in the comic books? They try to register with the government? No. Oh. No. Um, she's an orphan. Um, oh. So she's the daughter of two prosperous Chinese immigrants. Mm. Uh, Jubilation Lee. Jubilee. Uh, she's born in in like Beverly Hills, um, and she's a she's like a talented 
gymnast, which explains how she can do some gymnastic things. Um, her her life was destroyed when, and she she had like quite a pos- prosperous start to life. Mm. Um, her parents were quite were quite rich, I think. Yeah, well, she lived in yeah. Beverly Hills. Um, wow. And then her parents are murdered by hitmen, and she's sent uh, packed off to an orphanage. But she hates it there, so she runs away and hides in the Hollywood Mall. She literally becomes a <laughs> mall rat. Yeah. She's a proper mall rat, as in she lives in the Hollywood Mall. She steals food from the concession stands to survive. She steals clothes to 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 clothe herself and she kind of lives there underground overground wombling free um and yeah she is a a living breathing 80s stereotype of a teenager a mall rat literally i was about to say, I was about to say uh, i was just looking at i think i've been to the hollywood mall uh it's, it's, huge, there we go. Huge, it's not as huge as say westfield yeah yeah it's quite nice outdoors i mean hollywood's nice that little small bit where <laughs> the crime doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, it's LA. What are you going to do? So <laughs> yeah, okay. So I mean, I mean, these these in the cartoon, they're actually foster parents, aren't they? They're foster parents. They say so. I think that's yeah. We get that at the very end or something or midway through. Yeah, they are foster parents. Yeah, we don't know where yeah. she, you know we don't know anything about her and stuff like that. Yeah. Whoa! Spoiler alert. So back to the story. Outside. A large robot lands on a street, crushing a streetlight and crumbling the sidewalk. The humongous robot's eyes glow and begin scanning the buildings as it walks along the street. Inside the house, Martha wonders if they are wrong, and she really isn't a mutant. The father said she must be kidding. He opens up the entertainment centre and reminds her what Jubilee did to the VCR by simply touching it, pointing to the burnt and damaged device. Upstairs, the robot peeks into the window of Jubilee's room. The eyes illuminating the room, it smashes its arm through the window and inside. The robot grabs the bed, but when it pulls it out, finds that there are no living objects inside. It drops the bed, begins a tracking program and stomps away. Martha calls out to Jubilee, asking if she is alright. When she opens the door, she sees the destruction and screams. Okay, sensible question from a pedantic man. How come they can't hear a giant robot messing up the street outside? <laughs> this is like that pl- plot hole in Jurassic Park. The T-Rex makes a noise every time. you, And then at the end, it sneaks into the visitor centre without anyone hearing it. Well, <laughs> admittedly, at the end, they're in a pitch battle for their lives against other dinosaurs. So they're perhaps, I don't know, they're, they're perhaps not concerned about what those noises are. Or perhaps they're scared of those noises. Yeah, yeah okay. it's, a bit, it's a bit weird, isn't it? Um, I, I, there are loud noises that happen outside my house that I just ignore. I'm not going to rush to the window every time there's a loud noise. Like, okay, that's that, not well, going to It did seem like a pretty idyllic neighbourhood. You know, you wouldn't ha- you wouldn't have like a. That's true. It's a it very wasn't suburban. Like you could say, "Oh, that's just another gang war." <laughs> it was suburbia, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah and the footsteps get louder and closer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would definitely look outside and go, "Oh, wonder what that is." I'm, I'm curious, but. <laughs> That's so giant robots attacking children. I mean, that's always scary imagery. That's that's very primal 
in, even at a child age, mm. like a big robot coming after you. So I, I felt very much that scene where the hand comes in through the window is very BFG. BFG, yes, yes, right. Yes. That was on there's my that, head. There's something, there's something uniquely terrifying about about giants to this day. When mm. when the when the CGI is done well and it's shot well, any kind of um, kaiju, anything like yes. that, genuinely freaks me out, and I'm really not happy with it. Like the Matthew Broderick Godzilla, I'm fine. <laughs> but when they do some of those ones that are shot really well, and the scale of it is very unnerving, and I think it probably does come from the BFG. Do you know what I think? The is... idea that... Sorry, are you going Just... to say something? Just the idea that the BFG yeah. can kind of like they can kind of sneak around at night. They can. Mm. There's something about the size and scale of a monster like that. Yeah. That is actually at night time can walk down up to your front door and reach into your window. You know, yeah. it's all very disturbing. Yeah, I think the scary part of it is slow walking. It's the slow movement, the slow gradual yeah. movement, and it's like you don't you're not seeing something fast. It's that dread. I think dread and suspense are the most well used uh, horror tropes. Are zombies scary when they're fast? Will are they? No. Speaking as a hard, as a hardcore Resident Evil fan, they are scary when there's a few oh, of them in a corridor walking. Boo. What? Those aren't zombies. What? Not zombies? Because they don't come from. They're not the undead. They're they they are not, not the infected. undead. They're, they're just it's sick people. <laughs> they're not well. Called, they're not well. It should be called Resident Doctor trying to help sick people who want to stab you. <laughs> Jeez. Wow, I didn't know you were going to be pedantic about zombies. I'm going to move on. Yeah. Let's let's move on to the Sentinels then. What can you tell us about the Sentinels? Um, uh, they, they come early doors, pal. They come early doors. Early uh, doors, do they? 19, 1965. Oh, wow. Stan, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby uh, creations. And uh, they are meant to be weapons of genocide. And yep. as such, they yep. are they they are seen very much as playing into the subtext of the X Men uh, being the battle of the oppressed, be that mm-hmm. black people, Jewish people, gay people. I think particularly they 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 conjure Jewish connotations. The, the Sentinels do. Oh, the, the battle against the power of the authority uh, oppressing them. Well, just simply because they are mechanized, mechanized. Genocide is the Holocaust. There's no yeah, getting yeah. around that. That's what is being evoked. Um, it seems. It seems to be created by scientist Bolivar Trask, the greatest name in comic book history. <laughs> Hello, my name is Bolivar. What Oliver? Yeah, like <laughs> Oliver, but with a B. Bolivar Trask. Yeah, I, when I was, <laughs> when I was, when I was doing the research. At- and looking at this, looking at writing the notes down for this episode, I just went, Bolivar, it's Oliver, but harder. It's just oh, great. Yeah. yeah. It sounds it like, sound like he was a stroke as you're saying it. <laughs> Bolivar Trask. Oh, God, call an ambulance. His face I, is gone. I, I like to think in alternate universe, the lead singer of Nine Inch Nails is Bolivar Trask, <laughs> not Trent Reznor. <laughs> <laughs> So, so uh, yeah, sixty-five. Bolivar Trask fears the, the great powers of mutants, and he gets into a televised debate, a TV debate with Professor X, who at the time is pretending he is human because that's what all mutants have to do. Um, and the yeah. whole it gets the whole country debating the mutant issue. 
it's quite a vox poppy kind of um kind of issue um and 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 then bolivar unveils these giant robots he's protect to to he's built to protect mankind in in the classic sci-fi comic tradition the robots immediately turn on old bolivar uh they <laughs> declare themselves superior to humanity like because they've been programmed mm. to believe that humanity is superior to mutants so they look around and yeah. go cool that means there's a hierarchy and we're the top we are superior to humans and they decree that the only way to protect mankind from mutants is to conquer mankind and rule them as slaves. So um, the the X-Men... Uh, well, actually, Bolivar sacrifices his life uh, to, to destroy them. Then the Mark II Sentinels come That's along nice. a little bit after that. And the Mark II Sentinels come after the, hum- the mutants. But luckily... Cyclops convinces them all to fly into the goddamn sun, <laughs> it, which is it's my I think it might be my favorite <laughs> villain defeat in the history of X Men. Um, basically, Cyclops is a completely outnumbered and outpowered, and all of that, and he he does that. It's the old sci fi trope of dealing with a robot or a, or a or a great computer. I've seen it in Star Trek and all sorts of things. Cyclops yeah, kind of just yeah. goes, "Wait, wait a minute, wait, wait." You hate mutants, right? And the Sentinel's like, correct, we hate mutants. And you want to make sure there are no more mutants, right? Correct, we want to make sure there are no more mutants. Well, isn't the sun the source of all life and mutation? And they go, correct, logic cannot be argued with. We must now fly into the sun. So they all just just sod off to try and beat up the sun anyway i think they come back decades later having mutated and evolved and they didn't die in the sun but anyway there'd be several other iterations of sentinels over the years um as various members of the trask dynasty and the government and the hellfire club seek to you know use these these literal you know walking weapons of mass destruction to keep mutants at bay and to hold on to power and stuff um perhaps their most iconic depiction in comic books is in days of future past where we see yes, a future yes. world in which the sentinels have overrun america and completely control it and have committed mass genocide on mutants and superpowered beings and they murder all the X-Men. It's an awful dystopian world. It's um it's a really exciting but before dystopian futures were everywhere in comics, it was really exciting. Hmm. I was about to say, I like the uh, convincing an AI to kill itself or or something like that. I mean the, the first Fallout Classic. game, the boss. What? It, oh, it's Classic. Classic yeah. trope. It's, it's, sorry, yeah. there's a bit it's classic, but there was a really good thing with the uh, first Fallout game. I'll be as quick as I can. Basically, the boss is a living computer who created an army of super mutants. But if you have enough science in your character, because you can have different um, statistics for your character, intelligence is up, science understanding is up, you can basically say, oh, by the way, your plan will fail because your super mutants have no reproductive organs. Your plan is going to fail. They will die of natural causes. And he goes, oh, I didn't realise this, and then I'm going to self-destruct now. And it's, oh, great. But the other thing is, if you make your character incredibly stupid, 
like the lowest level of stupid. No one wants to speak with you and you get different options of speech. You can also just uh, cause the computer to self-destruct by yelling out ice cream. Which is the self-destruct code. I always, I, I love I that. I see. I love that so much. Okay, cool. I, I, I have to enter that in <laughs> when I talk about AI self-destructing. I think it's a great little game feature. Anyway, back to the story. Later in an arcade, Jubilee plays at one of the machines. Outside the mall, the robot stumps through the parking lot before scanning it. Jubilee wonders what is wrong with being a mutant anyways. Just then sparks fly out of her hands and destroys the arcade game. The arcade manager throws her out, yelling that he doesn't want more more mutants around here. Without looking where she's going, Jubilee bumps into two women, Storm and Rogue, causing them to drop their boxes. She grabs her glasses and runs off. Rogue wonders what was wrong with her while Storm begins to pick up the mess of boxes. So, I know that at the X-Men. Got to have some downtime. I'm just not used to seeing veteran members of the X-Men hang out at the mall. It's like... It's weird. It's weird. You know, yeah, that's quite the interesting... The X-Men go through these periods where it's almost like non-stop battles and wars. Yeah. And then there will be a period where it's very soap opera-based and there is a lot of hanging out and stuff. Um, I thought it was interesting to see that they spent money on different uh designs they had like an out of costume design because they couldn't be in costume so they've they've spent money on on having you know rogue and storm wear civilian clothes yeah they they were quite stylish too very stylish yeah yeah i'm 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 never quite sure about that bit where storm shoots lightning at her body and creates her costume (laughs) <laughs> or does she destroy the co- just is she destroying her outside clothes and her costumes underneath like that's not a thing she can do that's not anything in the comics and at no stage in the entire series do they ever explain what she's doing she just holds her hands up lightning bolts herself and she's wearing a costume with a little cape it's cool you got to remember this is the first cool. episode you know, it's, it's, I reckon what happened was they were like, really? Can she do it in the comics? We've got a day left to edit. We have no time to, to change anything quick. We've got to get but this they, But they keep now. doing it. It, 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 it. It's in the title sequence, I think. Oh. Maybe I'm wrong. But it's a key feature. Like, it happens a lot in the series because it stays in my mind. Anyway. Crazy. So, with Jubilee, she's ruined her dad's VCR and an arcade Very expensive. Game. Very expensive. Very- yeah, very expensive though in those days. You couldn't get like, you know, like getting a 20 quid DVD player off Amazon. This is like an expensive Oof. piece of kit that you can only get from Dixon's back in the day. Uh, or you have to rent it from Radio Rentals. Remember and you that? have to pay them £5 a month. <laughs> oh, yeah. God, that was. All my tellies, all my yeah. tellies back in the day were rentals. All of them. Yeah, we, we had rental TVs as well, radio rentals. I yeah. remember that. So her powers are very erratic. Doesn't like she, is, is it because she's young? She hasn't got really control over them. What's happening with that? Uh, to begin with, in the stories, yeah, it, she she can't she can't control them at all. Um, so she she has the the power to generate. I know it look she calls them fireworks, but it's pyrotechnic energy plasmoids, <laughs> and they do they do obey her mental control. She can. 
she can direct them um, and she can arrange them into different shapes and she can time out when they explode and stuff. And the yeah. strength of the blasts is like dependent on, like she can control the intensity of it. It can either mm. just be, and it, it, to begin with, it's a lot of colourful sparkles that blind people um, to like a really powerful detonation. She can also, like you can, she can blow stuff up, but she can also do a precision burst inside a human brain, <laughs> which creates Ooh. a stroke in them. Um, yeah. No. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. so dark. Yeah. It doesn't, like, she ne- like, I don't think she's ever done it, because Jubilee is very anti-violence. She has no, she doesn't have much of a... She's very she's a complete pure. rebel and all that. Um, she's I don't know. Pure. I don't know if that's the word I'd use, but, but she's she's not a violent, destructive person particularly. One time, when she thought Wolverine was dead, she was so emotional, she lost control of her powers, and she caused a huge explosion, which destroyed the Mandarin's mansion and everything inside it she was the only one that survived wow. um and since then she lives in fear of losing control and doing that much damage so her inhibitions hold her back there's um a point in the 90s where she joins a team of junior x-men called generation x and emma frost evaluates jubilee at the time as having unlimited potential and says she could be one of the most powerful mutants ever Emma Frost has like been studying and she she's been training mutants for decades and she believes that Jubilee's powers allow her to detonate matter at a subatomic level which in theory Ooh. is the equivalent of being able to create a few a nuclear fusion bomb now this ah. was like a, a a cop- this was something that a writer wrote in, I guess, to make Jubilee sound more powerful and dangerous rather than just sparkly fireworks girl. But that has never... That's been shied away from. No one's ever gone back to that, really. It's never really been explored. So it might just be a bit of nonsense that they don't bother with. Um, she lost her powers during M-Day and then died and then became a vampire and then was resurrected by a shard of the phoenix, and now she's got her powers back. So there you go. A nice, brief history nice. of powers. She's only popped up in the films. Well, I think she only sort of popped up in an extra for uh, for yeah. Apocalypse. That was it. I don't. I don't know when else we'll get to talk about her really. And she's so key to this cartoon series. And she is so key in the late eighties, early nineties X Men. Um, she is. Well, we'll talk about it. It's coming up. It's coming up in a bit. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get time to talk about that. So back to the story. Outside, people continue to scream and run as the robot punches its way through the mall. It tells the people to not be alarmed, as it own, it's only going to serve and protect. In a nearby stall, a southern man, Gambit is buying a deck of cards and flirting with the sales assistant. Nearby, Jubilee is spotted by the robot. It zooms in on her face and identifies her as its target. A cable shoots out of its hand and wraps around her. 
Suddenly, thunder is heard as Storm commands the robot to release the girl before blasting the cable, dropping Jubilee. The robot turns to watch her fall. Storm flies down and catches her out of the air just before the robot can grab her. Storm and Rogue take on the robot, but it knocks them clear out of the mall. Gambit finally takes notice of what is going on and saves Jubilee from the robot, but it still continues its pursuit. Outside the mall, the robot deploys gas grenades to catch Jubilee, knocking her out. Suddenly, Cyclops appears from nowhere and decapitates the robot with his laser. <laughs> there's a I, lot to unpack here. There's a lot. The thing is, this, this is a, a lot happens in the cartoons. I mean, they're only twenty minutes per episode, but they get they, it's like constant boom, 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 boom. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no being moody. There's none of that. So first of all, the reason Gambit doesn't notice what's going on is because he's hunting Poon. That's yes. entirely what he's doing. <laughs> he's chatting her up something rotten. Um, I think any any good Narlins man would be a little bit disappointed being described as a southern gentleman. But there you go. Descriptions I, aside. I know, I know. <sighs> well, 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 Wolverine keeps calling him Cajun, doesn't he? Yeah. He called it Cajun. Yeah, it's a different kind of... Su- he's still Southern. Cajun, on, Creole. Southern. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's <laughs> that's what Gambit's up to while the robot is rampaging through the... I'm sorry, I didn't notice, I, but I got her number, so... <laughs> sorry, I have to notice. I just noticed a bit of skirt in that, off, in that shop over there while I was buying the cards. Well, what, what it does point out is that for some reason, Gambit does not buy his cards wholesale, which means he is paying through the nose for those <laughs> things, which he throws. But, like, he, 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 he must, it's half, half a pack an episode, and he's buying them one at a time. Mate, you've got you've to call a suppliers, like a warehouse, get him shipped in bulk. I, I was just thinking, maybe it's like in Batman Begins, where they're like, oh, we can't buy just one, otherwise it'll be suspicious <laughs> we have to buy in bulk. But then I'm like, why would they get suspicious that someone's buying loads of cards? <laughs> it's like, well, oh, yeah, this guy's buying loads of cards. He's not going to be Batman, is he? They don't hide their identities in this, do they? No one cares. No, They've no, got masks. No, but... but it just made me think, it just, oh, God. <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. So, Cyclops, I've always, uh, I, I always loved in the cartoon. Uh, charming. Oh no, no, not Cyclops. I, why did I put Cyclops in my notes? I meant to say Gambit. I, I, I've never liked Cyclops. I was confused there. I was like, why, why, why have I said that? I like Gambit. Gambit in the cartoon, charming, even if questionably dressed. Me and my brother used to say that he was wearing underpants on his head. It looks like oh, he's, he's got pants. that. Yeah, he's got that. Whatever it's called, yeah. Is that a balaclava snood or something? Because it goes around, but his hair it's, is free at it, the top. It's just, its definitely a snood. It's definitely a snood. Yeah, yeah but he it's wears. Weird. So here's Gambit's look. If you've, had, if for some reason you haven't seen the cartoons and you only watch the movies, Gambit wears like um, alligator boots and yeah. body armor, body armor all the time, purple body armor, yep. <laughs> a trench coat. And mm. a snood with holes cut out for his face and his hair. <laughs> and he has got red pupils, like red eyes, black eyes and red dots in the middle. He's terrifying to look why, at. Why is that? It's is that only ever since so, part of his eyes. No, it's just part of his mutation. It's not like a thing, really. It's just, yeah. I'm really surprised that he's able to do casual... 
you know, flirting and they're not going, is, is you, are your eyes okay, mate? Mate, it's California, right? It's he's California. just everyone's like, oh, he's just got some, uh, he's got some contact lenses in, I'm trying to impress the birds. I'm doing a horror film, mon cher. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an extra in one of those slasher movies. I can't do his voice. He has a he, he, the, the no, it's not bad. Doesn't... It was pretty good. It was pretty good. Thanks. Uh, also, the sight of Storm bellowing at the robot while wearing a jacket and holding a handbag. <laughs> I was like... I, robot, I, <laughs> I command you by the powers of the winds and the storms to let that girl go. And it's like... <laughs> it's like Ian McKellen handbag. all the time. She's just... It's just yeah. full on, <laughs> full on, fucking McKellen Shakespeare character in a mall with a handbag. And it's like, so sure. Barista, I command you to bring me my frappuccino. <laughs> shoulder pads. That's all I can see with her jacket is the eighties uh, shoulder pads. But yeah, I, I just found that a really weird detail that they must have left in and went. Ah, let's keep that in. I know it gets a deadline, but that's quite funny. So, is this how Jubilee first meets the X Men? Uh, no, 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 no. She's she's uh, she's in the mall where she lives, right? Mm. And she puts she uses her fireworks to put on like performances and get a bit of a bit of uh, cashola, mm. and um, she is constantly kind of like running away from more security and cops and hiding and. And all of that. There's a a squad. This is called the M Squad, and they are professional mutant hunters, <laughs> and they are out to hunt any mutant down and turn yeah. them in and all that kind of business. And and Jubilee is is being hunted down by them, but is rescued mm. by Dazzler, Psylocke, Rogue, and Storm uh, in and around a mall. So there is some of that to it. Um, she's really curious about the women and tracks them down to a portal mm. which leads the back to the X-Men's base now this is during a period of time when the X-Men have faked well have they faked their deaths no the X-Men died and then the goddess Roma brought them back to life we haven't got time um, but the whole world believes they're dead and they <laughs> let the world believe them to be dead. And the X-Men now live in Australia and they, they, they kind of hide in the Australian outback in this high-tech sci-fi base that they've taken over from a group of cyborgs called the Reavers. We haven't got time. So there's a, a, it's a bold and brilliant time in X-Men history. Chris Claremont um, had been doing all of these big big space kind of stories we've had like the phoenix sagas and all that kind of stuff and the fall of the mutants and they kind of refocused and reinvigorated the team during this era he's joined by this incredible artist mark silvestri one of the image founders later on claremont and silvestri strip away like the cosmic stories they strip away professor x the mansion cerebro tons of other familiar and, and, and comfortable parts of the comic and they put the focus on these 
brand new kind of really undeveloped characters Dazzler, Longshot, Psylocke mm. and, and Cyclops' brother Havoc and introduce incredible new social dilemmas for the team to face like um, the island of Genosha which is a thinly veiled mm. South Africa um, connotation it, it, it's, it's there as a stand-in for South Africa and the story there is there's an apartheid between mutants and humans and mutants live as second class citizens just like in parts of South Africa at the yeah. time um, so, so Jubilee follows them back to the base and she spends some time hiding in this big base um, as she's never heard of the X-Men and has no idea how they'll react to her she steals food, borrows clothes from the X-Men, creates his makeshift costume, which is the yellow jacket, <laughs> the, the shades, the whole thing. Mm. Um, uh, and she gets, basically, while she's sneaking around the caverns of this underground base, that she witnesses Wolverine being tortured by these cybernetic uh, bad guys called the Reavers. And she manages to save Wolverine when their backs turned and she nurses him back to health and a, a slight bond is formed and then Wolverine and Jubilee just just freaking leave and, and, and run off to um, Japan and she has all these adventures with Wolverine and with Psylocke um, and so mm. she's not part of the team even though she's been kind of like stealing from them and watching them and living with them and they don't know about it um and she she it, she it, it this gets this long thing of she goes with Wolverine on mission after mission after mission like because his life is just a mess of adventures so she becomes Wolverine's sidekick basically in in kind of a similar way that Kitty wow. Pride had been that's pretty uh, good you know earlier um mm. and and you but but very much more that she is a She's younger than Kitty Pride, so it's very little sister, big brother, or little sister, uncle. Yeah. Um, and then she gets folded back into the the, to the team, um, and then suddenly she's in space. But <laughs> she 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 basically gets accepted into the team very very quickly, open arms, and she becomes part of the X Men Blue team in the early nineties, which is pretty much the backbone of this cartoon team here. Wolverine, Cyclops, Rogue, Gambit, mm. Jubilee, Beast. But they have Psylocke, and we don't get Psylocke in the comics because that is too, in the cartoon, it's just too much to get into. We don't, we, we'd, we, you'd <laughs> have to have Captain Britain and the Mandarin and Quanon, and you'd have to have Mojo and the splicing of minds and bodies. And we don't, we haven't got time to get into it. But yes, that's kind of how yeah, Jubilee exactly. meets I never knew who Psylocke was. Mm. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, yeah, because by the time the Apocalypse movie came, I was like, who's that? Who the hell's that? I don't know who that is supposed to be. She's really important. She's really cool. She's Captain Britain's sister. Mm. She's British, but then she's Asian. It's weird. I I I I will wait until another time to ask further questions. We'll, we'll we'll do we'll do Psylocke when we get to Apocalypse, the X Men Apocalypse movie. <clears throat> oh, fantastic! Anyway, back to the story. Later, Jubilee wakes up in an infirmary in a large mansion, 
She creeps out of her room and spots a large blue man grabbing a liquid-filled flask while hanging upside down with his feet grabbing a bar. Jubilee runs by another door when she hears a news broadcast. Robert Kelly is denouncing the attack at the New Salem Mall as part of ongoing mutant menace violence. Jubilee peeks inside to see Morph watching the broadcast, changing his shape between the people on TV, including Jubilee when the news report on the mall incident from earlier comes on. Meanwhile, Professor Charles Xavier and Jean Grey discover that Jubilee is missing from the infirmary. He claims that what happened at the mall was inevitable and knew that the X-Men would be revealed to the public someday, but he had hoped for something different. Jean stops when she sees that the monitors are off, realising that Jubilee is trying to escape. As Jubilee flees, an alarm begins blaring and in panic escapes inside the danger room. Inside, the computer announces it is starting the Gambit Wolverine training sequence. Gambit runs up and notes that this is no place for her before sparring with Wolverine. Can you can you do that in Gambit's voice, please? Thank you. This is no place for her, Sherry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, The door opens and Storm, Beast and Morph and Storm ask if the child is alright. Sorry, Storm, Beast and Storm, Storm, Beast and Morph enter. Storm asks if the child is alright. My notes are... are, I wrote my notes bad. (laughs) Anyway, so... Basically, this this is a great narrative device, as we're saying. Uh, we said earlier, Jubilee is basically the main character, point of view character using this. She is basically our way of being introduced to all the X-Men in a way that's fitting to the narrative without them just running at the screen going, I am Cyclops! I have powerful eyes! You know, that kind of thing. They're... Which they do in a movie. <laughs> what was this you said? Is first you... class that is... First class is somehow... Not as deft and well written as this. Yeah, <laughs> like they just sit around and say, "My oh, whatever they whatever the characters are." You know, a lot of positives in that film, but freaking heck, I can't. I can't remember just... if it was a previous episode of the podcast or whether it was a writing session we were doing, and we were talking about that. And you told me it, and afterwards, <laughs> in the most bitter way possible, you said someone got paid to write that. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like. Oh, yeah. scorn! Was... What scorn? <clears throat> it's true, though. Yeah, I believe. I believe. I don't know which episode. It isn't definitely an episode because I heard it the other day when I was yeah. uh, casting my mind back. Um, it might have been the X Men one, but who knows? It, it yeah, must have been the X Men. It's a one. very clunky way of introducing it's, names and yeah. characters. Um, whereas I, I, this, this just works, yeah. doesn't it? It flows nicely. Yeah, I, I, and I like First Class. We'll talk more about it when we handle it. But we're, we're, uh, you, as soon as I mentioned liking it, you just immediately went to that. And I was like, yeah, I don't think that scene's good either. <laughs> okay. <laughs> also, uh, I wasn't expecting to giggle. Uh, I did giggle a few times while watching the cartoon. There were some nice little bits. But Wolverine mocking Gambit's accent. He's like, hey, bub, if you, if you get tired, just say, uncle. And I was like, ooh, I, I like that. I I. I like Wolverine having a sense of humour. It's fun. I, I like it. I like it. It was just like, hey, mild racism. <laughs> Extremely mild racism. Well, yeah. Yeah, Cultural, it's taking a French accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. It was very, very it was very, well, I, 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 I like that, that, that jocular behaviour between, between comrades. So, we didn't see any of the uh, X-Men, so, we didn't see it in any of the X-Men movies we covered. I mean, I tried, um, I tried remembering it. Did I ever see the Danger Room there? So what can you tell us about it? The Danger Room is just this thing that was missed out of the X-Men films. 
Or was yeah, it and, number and three? Yeah, it's really it's really key in in the comic books. Yeah, actually, just a sec. I think it might be in number three. Do they have a little thing at the beginning where they find that in a holographic room and it's the danger room, but it's not really referred maybe, to? Maybe, maybe mm. that's that's a, a really terrible film. I try not to remember it. Oh, um, that was a sick burn. With a, not with really forget, forgetting <laughs> I mean, forgetting not, it existed. The the whole universe agrees with me. Um, so yeah, the danger room. The danger room is Jack Kirby's idea, um, and it's their it's their training room. And it, 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 according to Stan, it meant that they could once he once Jack described it to him, he realized mm. it meant they could conveniently open every issue of the X Men with an action scene that didn't require any plot. It was because action scenes are key for getting people's interest, and so you could have them doing kind of like a, a, an action thing, fighting with each other, avoiding missiles or whatever. But you didn't actually need to open it in the middle of an adventure it was just their training hmm. it, it, it's um a originally it's a room filled with traps and projectiles mechanical dangers like they have like mechanical presses collapsing walls yep, things yep. like that it, intended to to challenge the because the x-men remember to begin with there are their students being trained and educated um yeah. The observer is in like a, an overhanging control booth, um, managing the room's mechanisms and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, later on, the mm. danger room's upgraded with robots to fight against the X Men. We see that there. We see that there are robots mm. for the Wolverine, and I think no, that's in the title sequence. There are robots, aren't there? Little kind of like crash test yeah, dummy robots so. for them to fight. Um, and it served the X-Men for many, many years and has been used against them. Bad guys or whatever malfunctions would lock them in and eliminate all the fail-safes and the X-Men would have to fight for their lives in the danger room. In 1983, after befriending the alien Shi'a Empire, and when I say befriending, I mean shagging, shagging his way through space <laughs> professor x <laughs> professor x starts shagging the alien empress of the shia empire and he uses his booty call his sugar mommy to um upgrade the danger room with advanced technology like perfect hologram hard and soft light hologram and professor x knows all about mm. the hard light um, and a tactical computer Wait. matrix um, essentially, it's like the holodeck from Star Trek Next Generation, but predates the holodeck by like four or five years. So that's quite a thing. Um, oh, the, the, danger, the danger room after that point could now create immersive holographic environments. It could simulate any situation the X-Men might encounter in the, in the field. And uh, yeah, it was it was programmed with a prime directive to never kill the X-Men um, it uses like force fields and things like that too I was about to say it would have sorry yeah I was about to say that's more advanced than what I saw in the cartoon because one of the cartoon was like wow they could die at any moment <laughs> yes yeah I suppose so yeah and early on it was like that as well early on it was just a room in the mansion mm that fired missiles and collapsed walls on them and 
like there was a flamethrower would pop out of the floor if you weren't careful and things like that. Um, it was a bit. It was a bit like uh, you get the vibe in like Hogwarts that yeah, like you're never really gonna die, <laughs> but you will get hurt at Hogwarts. That will happen. They're preparing you for life. It's kind of rough. Um, the danger room would eventually gain sentience and mutate and oh. turn on Professor X. But that is a story for another day. Everything mutates and comes back. Everything I, I, in X-Men I, mutates, yeah. I know. I, I was about to say, the design of it, I'm glad they, they made it more like the holodeck from Star Trek, because all I saw when I was looking at this is every single level from Super Mario combined into a room. Yeah, that's that's exactly <laughs> what it was, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, it's a bit primitive. We just want something more advanced. He goes, we'll be fine. We've done loads of training where you have to move out of the way of a crusher and jump on a pipe. We'll be fine as long as the enemy have all those things. I'm like, come on, it's going to be a bit more advanced than that. Come on. Yeah. So, back to the st- out of the danger room and back to the story. Storm leads Jubilee away, offering to explain that Professor Xavier is the leader of their team, the X-Men. And introduced the place as Professor Xavier's School for the Gifted. Jubilee explains why people hate them. Storm responds that people hate what they do not understand. Inside the mansion, Xavier explains to the team that he managed to retrieve part of the robot's visual memory. He pulls up a scan of Jubilee along with their information, explaining that it's from the Mutant Control Agency registration files. The Mutant Control Agency is a private organisation, occasionally supported by the government, but Charles theorises that someone at the agency has a hidden agenda. Meanwhile, at Jubilee's home, a mysterious man questions Jubilee's parents about their foster daughter's life. The parents barely know her as they only had her for a year. Nearby, Jubilee gets off a bus without noticing another robot scanning her nearby. Suddenly, the robot towers over her, a second one shoots knockout gas from its fingertips, engulfing her. The mysterious man wakes up and congratulates the robot. Jubilee looks up at the man and robot and the robots, but falls into unconsciousness. Now, this is the thing. I always found, uh, further, further to a giant robot smashing down the street and stomping and things, I always found the use of the Sentinels very heavy-handed during quiet operations like this. Like, think of all the property damage and, like, upsetting why, why people. Why is this a quiet operation? Well, they're just... Well, they were just trying to just steal her from our house. Yes, because she is a mutant. Shock and awe. Make mutants afraid. Reassure the humans that there is overwhelming power that um, will come raining down on mutants. Okay. okay, I don't think it's. Uh, I mean, if if you were trying to get one to sneak in somewhere, sure, but I think it's very much a. We are Americans, big brass, dangly parts, and we are here to go. It's like a heli carrier rocking up to deal with a graffiti, you know, graffiti criminal. It's like there will be no more graffiti because we have brought a heli carrier, and every other graffiti artist in the area will go. Oh, let's stop this then. It's shock and awe. That's what I reckon. Wow. But, but I know what you mean. It, 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 it yeah, stomping down a street and smashing into a house. But it, you know, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think the people behind the Sentinels are, you know, they're not, they're not terribly hinged. <laughs> I think they're all a little bit soft up top. 
Yeah, a little bit. <sighs> but what can you tell us about the Mutant Control Agency? Well, there's there's no such thing as the Mutant Control Agency in the, in the comic books. Mm. Um, but it but it's clearly inspired by some things that are uh, that classic Days of Future Past storyline um, from 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 the early eighties. The Sentinels are empowered by the Mutant Control Act, um, yeah. so that's you know very close to it. Um, the Mutant Registration Act becomes an ongoing plot thread throughout the Marvel Universe in the 1980s and 90s. Um, and the subtext is always, like, horrific. You know, it's always the Holocaust, and it's the, the Japanese-American internment camps of the 40s. Mm. There's the, a the line of dialogue which says, one drop of mutant blood is all it would qualify to, for a family being registered. And that's a direct reference to um, Colonel Carl... Benderston, who is the architect behind the internment, the awful internment camp program, Ooh. who said just one drop of Japanese blood would qualify a family from being thrown into these horrific oh, camps. God, um, it's you know, it's not just Chris Claremont and it's not just Days of Future Past. Like Alan Moore in the early eighties was doing a very similar and kind of equally fantastic groundbreaking storyline for Marvel UK. Oh. Um, in the pages of Captain Britain, there's this powerful reality-warping being that becomes Prime Minister <laughs> and turns Britain into a fascist state and enforces superhero legislation that imprisons anyone with powers into these mm. concentration camps. It's awful. Um, what I found interesting about the, the, the mutant control agency here is that they go out of their way to... Like, it's a private company. Mm. And Xavier goes out of his way to sort of say, oh, I think it's there is... Like, someone inside has got a bad agenda, as if anything else about the organisation <laughs> is fine. <laughs> oh, they want to register people because of because of how they're born. Um, and he's like, oh, I've result of some bad... It's like, he doesn't, it's like the show doesn't want to get too anti-government... Which the comics do because Marvel comics, the government is always old white men who are never to be trusted. They are <laughs> hate-filled, duplicitous, and fully up for a bit of genocide. You do not want to, you know, you don't want to be trusting them. So it feels a bit like the cartoon is kind of like let's just slightly pull back on the anti-government stuff in this children's cartoon. <laughs> I know, I know. It's it, it, it's it's weird when when you talk about that because it's like ah, we can't be doing that to children. But it's like most of this is going to go above their head. <laughs> they don't care don't about know. the news. I don't know. I don't know. This stuff. I think this stuff does resonate. No, I mean, like level. if they went too the... anti-government with it. If they went too anti-government, I mean, with the with their with their rhetoric. Like, but I, no, I, 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 disagree, I disagree. I think it all connects. Um, the, the, the reason that the CIA own the comic book rights to reproduce um, Animal Farm. Oh, it's hello. because the CIA, the CIA publish Animal Farm as a comic book, mm. as a graphic novel. You can use that term then, a graphic novel. Yep, yep, yep. And they distribute it in communist countries um, surreptitiously. Two children to to pl- plant the anti-communist idea in the heads of the children reading comics. Kids aren't stupid. 
wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I and I'm a and I'm a, and I'm quite a big George Orwell fan as well. You know, I, I did not know that happened. That's brilliant. There you go. Anyway, so back to the story. Back at the mansion, Xavier pulls up an image of the Mutant Control Agency's headquarters and explains to the entire team that the building has files on hundreds of registered mutants who were innocently duped into revealing their identities. Xavier offers full command of an infiltration mission to Cyclops. That evening, the team approach the agency's headquarters and sneak inside the building after Morph assumes the identity of a guard before knocking them out. As they walk in, Wolverine suddenly stops everyone and sniffs. He tells them that there are electronic beams that he can sense. Storm summons a mist to reveal the laser defences, leaving Beast as the only one who can go ahead to disarm them. Meanwhile, outside, a large armoured vehicle rattles its way down the road. Back in the building, the team approaches the door, none the wiser of the group of armed guards readying themselves on the other side. And that is where the episode ends, to be continued in the next one. Not the next episode of Marvel vs. Marvel, the next episode of (laughs) X-Men. So, before we talk about Beast, because I want to talk about Beast in a sec, um, I I want to go back uh, to your uh, remarks about them dressing up like Rob Halford from Judas Priest, all in leather, black leather. Uh, so the character, those costumes are characterless, but wearing bright lycra on a stealth mission is very hilarious. And they're, <laughs> they're going, surely the, yeah. this, this is the moment when the black you know, suit, leather suits would really work. Yeah, but that sort of stuff like just never comes up in comic books. It's It's never... It's very rare. Like there are rare times when, like Spider-Man says, "I have developed a stealth suit for when I need to be <laughs> stealthy." Uh, it's, yeah. You know, you, you're going to be look. You, you're already going to be slashing doors down with adamantium claws, <laughs> yeah. blasting walls apart with optic blasts. Uh, it's it's not going to be stealthy. It's like in an Avengers film, they're going. We got to, we got to head advance towards the enemy base. It's like, should we do this quietly? No, we'll run at them in a way that's stylish. <laughs> yeah, and punch everything. I don't. Yeah. I also think these characters aren't aren't that bothered about that stuff because they have superpowers. They're like, yeah, that's true. I, not too, I've played a lot of video games of this kind, and you do not use stealth when you have superpowers. You do not. You never do it. Wolverine's Wolverine doesn't care. Why would he care? <laughs> I just want to him. die. He says as he's slashing <laughs> people to bits. I've lived for so long. Please kill me. That, so, that, what's interesting is that that I don't know if that would have formed um, crystallized around this time. I don't think Wolverine. I don't think the idea that Wolverine's been around for a long, uh, long time has crystallized at this point. He, he's probably thought to have a long life because he's drawn to be in his forties. But yeah, I don't think. I don't think they've got to this point of he's fourteen. Uh, wait, okay. So when he's with, um, so when he's with Jubilee in these early adventures, they do encounter Black Widow and Psylocke, and we get a flashback to a World War Two mission where Wolverine's working with Captain America, and he hasn't aged since then. So you get a little sense of it, but. Yeah, I don't. You don't quite get the immortal being that is Wolverine yet. Okay, that makes sense. So Beast then, uh, he's basically Frasier. Uh, Beast quoting poetry as he makes uh, this assault is very unique. Is that what he, his character is like in the comics? 
Very, very yeah, cultured. I, I, hmm. I love, I love, love, love Beast. He's one of my favourite X Men. I love Sherry Logan. Beast as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Stan always said that he made Hank McCoy the most articulate and eloquent. And, and and well read of the X Men to to contrast with the fact that he was brutish, and this mm. is before because remember Beast to begin with doesn't have blue fur, yeah. he's just a like a simian looking dude. Mm. In, in in fact, in the very issue the Sentinels are first introduced, um, when the emergency occurs, Hank is down at this hip swinging 60s coffee shop listening to beatnik poetry and snapping his fingers he's he's you know poetry is a, a part of him being well read being cultured um and when he changed into the furry werewolf that we see here in the 70s instead of having him become the traditional oh woe is me and my misfortune you know the beast of a beauty and a beast character right who's just mm. all always kind of emo-y um, writer Steve Angelhart ignored all of that and made the focus of the new furry beast his wit and his humour and his light-hearted characteristics and then in the, in the 70s when he's added to the Avengers as a new member of the team it's specifically because he's this witty wow. sensitive light-hearted character to, to prove quite a, a counterpoint to the grim macho characters on the team um, which I think is just a wonderful part of him. Grant, Grant Morrison um, started his run on on the X Men in the two thousands. He summed up the Beast, I think, quite quite wonderfully. Um, and 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 Morrison said he takes his perspective on Beast from the Chris Claremont era of writing the character. He said, "I always saw Henry McCoy as an incredible, clever." witty cultured well-traveled experienced well-read character so i brought out those parts of his personality which seemed to me to fit the profiles of the smartest and most worldly people i know so i just think it's so it's such you nail the character to have him walking upside down whilst reading poetry um i think really nails it yeah oh yeah absolutely I always had always had a soft spot for him when I was watching it because he's like, oh, he's lovely. You want to hug him because he's furry, but also because he's very, <laughs> very kind-natured. Yeah. So we're on to part two now. On to part two. Inside the mutant control agency, Storm flies through the halls well, while Wolverine, Beast and Morph let's follow. Just, let's have a slight... Put, how do you feel about that as a cliffhanger? I felt it was the most harmless cliffhanger ever. Because something happens in this that could have been the cliffhanger, right? Yeah, that could. Why was <laughs> that... why was not the assault the follow? We're about to see a full-on assault, right? And you you yeah. are led to believe that two characters are dead. Why would that not be the cliffhanger? It's bonkers to me. It really is bonkers. I, I, I my memories of this cartoon hmm. are always that that is the cliffhanger, and then in the next episode, it starts with them coming back to the mansion, talking about oh my god, I can't believe what happened on that mission, and then we get the flashback. That's not what happens. 
The cliffhanger is lame as anything. It's so bad. It's it not, improved. It's just. It improved with age inside your own head. That's what happened. Yeah, yeah. You made it's just it a better. natural cutoff. The assault <laughs> is, and the, them running away is a natural cutoff point. But okay. Yeah. Sorry, you, you may proceed with no, part two no, of the story. You, you made a very Knight good point. of the Sentinels Part Two. Knight of the Sentinels Part Two. On the other side, armed men aim their guns at the door. Storm opens the door slowly, but Wolverine quickly stops her and shuts the door. He sniffs the air and smells gun oil, revealing the guards. Suddenly, the door flashes and Storm blows the door and guards back with a mighty gust of wind. Outside, Cyclops blasts one of the armoured vehicles, ordering the others to keep the soldiers away from the building without harming them. Inside, a high-ranking officer tells the men that they are under attack and to report to the guardroom immediately. The men rush into the room before being locked in by the officer that suddenly changes back to Morph. Meanwhile, Storm orders Beast and Wolverine to help destroy the base's files. So, with Morph, I mean, that, that bit, I, I, you can tell right away that that is Morph, because that voice does not match. <laughs> it's like high-ranking officer, and he's like, ah, we've got the Tudor. And it's like, that is not a high-ranking officer. Yes, he doesn't. He doesn't seem to morph the voice that that time, does he? Yes. And yet, others, other times, he does. Yeah, I, I was like, oh, okay. I don't know why they did that. That that made no sense. So essentially, they have a mystique, but who is more sassy? That's essentially what morph is. Sassy. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's, he's uh, got a sense of humor. A mystique isn't really he, that. Yeah, sassy. it's a sense of. Uh, no, that's true. She is either like. Pretty in the in the in the ex the early X Men that we see that we've looked at, yeah. she's per, has no personality. Yep, yep. Uh, and then she's Jennifer Lawrence, and that I none of that makes sense to me. No, I no, still the, don't know if it's is it the same person? I don't know. No, no, no. The, um, the one before Jennifer Lawrence who played the original trilogy. That's what I'm saying. So as we talked about her, and we said she has no personality. Oh, and then, meant, said, it, and then it, she's it, Jennifer yeah. Lawrence. And I can't work out if that's meant to be the same character or not because of the timeline and whatever. Yeah, it's And then in the comic odd. books, she's super deadly and she's not... Yeah, she doesn't have a sense of humour in the comic books, you're right. It's, it was like um, it was like they used her in, in the, the, the first few films. They used, her, like, her curves were her personality. It's like her oh, legs... Oh, totally, were, yeah. It was just... It, it was a bit... It mm. was a bit like... Do you remember that, that um, Species, the movie Species? I never watched alien it. alien... That shags people to death. Yeah, that, I heard, like I heard a, about it. Was it was like a proper mainstream movie. It wasn't like an erotic thriller or anything, but it had some proper saucy scenes in it. And they mm. cast like the supermodel it woman of the time to be the alien because she's going to do lots of saucy sex scenes and she doesn't have to talk. That's what I felt <laughs> this was like because Rebecca yeah, yeah. Ramon doesn't talk really doesn't have to do much i mean she's yeah. a lot of physical activity a load of physical stuff but but she also has to be essentially naked for the whole movie so i agree with you I she think doesn't even do really good facial like expressions it's just it's just more like no. evil glare yeah mm. lame that's a shame isn't it that is a real shame i yeah. think the design of the character is terrible as well um i think it's just terrible why wouldn't that why wouldn't she where anyway it doesn't matter we're not doing which mystique's not even in this <laughs> let's move on what else have you got to say <laughs> will what are your other opinions 
Uh, I would have expected an anti-mutant headquarters to be better equipped. Well, they have a platoon of soldiers and, like, a tank. What else could they do? Spare sentinels. <laughs> We've designed That's a, good a robot point. that can That's take out point. mutants. Surely That's we should really use that when point. guarding the HQ. <laughs> oh, my God. Where are they? That's a really good point. I forgot all about that. This is like me when I, I, I was playing some World War II strategy game and I went, Here okay, we I was playing Company Heroes and I was like, okay, I've got all my units. I, the enemy's over there. I need to, and, and I made the mistake several times of sending everybody to attack and leaving no one to defend. <laughs> and it's the most stupid schoolboy error. And I feel that's what they've done here. They went, well, we should use these ultra-powerful robots to go around and search. What about the base? Don't worry. The lads are on it. We've got a tank from a third world country from the 70s. Like, literally, literally, one of the first things that happens in this yeah. is Cyclops decapitates a sentinel with his eyes. I don't think a tank is going to help us. It's like, even, even then, we, we must have at least two sentinels to make sure we could do this, preferably with very reflective necks. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm proud of that because that's the first time I've ever ma- made you agree with me through my pedanticity. That's not true. Oh, through your pedantry. Pedantry. Pedantry, my pedantry, Will. pedantry Through my pedantry, you've actually gone, you've got a point there instead of going, oh, why can't you just accept it's a cartoon for kids, you idiot? <laughs> why did you have to bring physics into it, you gimp? <laughs> but yes, they could have used a few... I'm riding this. I'm doing a I agree. Line. They could have used a few. Uh, they could have used a few <laughs> sentinels at the base, guys. Come on! <laughs> Audience applauses. I get paid. Anyway, <laughs> back to the story. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Detroit, Michigan, Jubilee awakens in the U.S. Motors factory by the sound of the mysterious man's voice. Henry Guyrick complains that Jubilee has already been a burden to her foster parents, and that as her powers grow in strength, she will in danger everyone around her but guy rich is it Gy- guy rich or guy rich was it guy rich i've always said guy rich guy, not guy richie yeah. not guy richie guy no. rich claims she can help by identifying the most dangerous of mutants of all he picks up a recorder and presses play gambit's voice is heard saying not to mess with the x-men not to mess with the x-men <laughs> he wants to know who the x-men are a second man Oliver Trask interrupts, demanding to know why why Guy Rich has brought a mutant to the base. Trask says they had agreed not to attack any mutants until they had 100 of the robots, Sentinels. Just then, Guy Rich receives a phone call telling him to eliminate the mutants immediately. So, we've seen a few X-Men films, a few X-Men cartoons, you've read all the comics. How many uh, iterations of Bolivar Trask have we seen on the screen now? I mean, there was one in X-Men 3, uh, I forgot I forgot the name. Well, the uh, well, 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 but hang on, hang on, hang, hang on, on, hang on. There we go. Well, what I need to bring up is a point of contention here. Because you want me and us to talk about films we haven't covered. Uh. I will not be doing that. We, <laughs> as a podcast, have not seen any Bolivar Trask, Bolivar Trask at all. Ah, uh, is he in X-Men 3? He's- I don't know. I've genuinely blocked that movie out. <laughs> He's played by an African-American actor in X-Men 3. 
And then it's like in another film, he's played by Peter Dinklage. And then and it's like drastically different ah. people in each iteration I've seen. He's the Harvey Dent of the Marvel Universe. Harvey Dent of the Marvel Universe. <laughs> Are yeah. you referring to the 1989 Batman film where Billy, Billy, yeah. Billy, D. Willi- Billy <sighs> D. Williams briefly plays Harvey Dent? And then it's a fantastic character actor whose name escapes me. Well, who plays Harvey Dent? Uh, yeah, in uh, Tommy Lee Jones, Dark Knight. Oh, Tommy Lee Jones. But then you get him in Dark Knight. You get oh, Mr. Chin rises or whatever. Uh, from Thank You for Smoking, great actor. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. He's a good actor. So we, we, yeah. he's a very short-lived character in the comic books. He 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 doesn't make it out alive of the first Sentinel story. He uh, oh. sacrifices himself and then uh, destroys his own creations. But his family don't learn the lesson he learnt, and they like this is a classic Marvel thing. Yeah, it's a classic Stan Lee thing. So, scientist Bob Trask, he does all the bad stuff, and then he sees the error of his ways, and then he dies, and then his son doesn't know that his father had a change of heart. <laughs> All he knows is his father died because of mutants. So it gets even worse. Um, we see a bit of that in the Spider-Man cartoon series as well, I think. Uh, but it's a classic It's a classic stand trope, yeah. Wow. With a lot of villains, so that's fun. And the other villain, Guy Rich. Uh, have we mentioned him before? Yeah, he he briefly appears in the in the X Men movie that we covered. Check it out in the archives. He plays an aide to Senator Kelly. Ah, uh, okay, um, okay, okay. A guy, guy Rich, um is a really interesting character because for a lot of years he plays an antagonist but not a villain. So he first appears in the Avengers as the government liaison who makes the Avengers follow all the rules. It's like yeah. you have to have proper security. Only approved people can be members of this government team. That well, this team that uses loads of government resources. Like no more Spider-Man as an Avenger for a month and then leaves. No more She-Hulk as a member and then she goes. Then she comes back. No more member of the team as an alien race with no paperwork and ID. Like you've got to be proper. Um, and so he forces them to go along with things like affirmative action as well. Um, and uh, from then on, Gyrick became the Marvel character to use whenever the government are going to have a problem with superheroes. So he's part of the <laughs> Commission of Superhero Activity that forces Captain America to retire. To Sorry, I'll say that again. That forces Captain America to retire. Um, and that's in our archives as well. In Winter Soldier, we talk about him then, I think. We talk about the commission of superhero activities, anyway, and and he 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 uses like he, he then gets involved in the mutants quite quite a bit with Project Wide Awake, which we'll talk about, um, and he he's like a he joins an anti mutant zealot, and he's quite tied into the Sentinels for a time. So, in my mind, he's always more of an Avengers character than X Men character, but the more I actually thought about it for this. For this episode, the more I realised he's very tied into Sentinels. So yeah, it does make sense. He's here. Yeah, that makes sense. It does. It's like he's like he's like a placeholder character. It's like, hey, we need a 
a G-man, nondescript G-man. We don't want to create all the so, too much backstory. Yeah. Guy Rich. Yeah. Guy Rich. Okay, cool. So, back to the story. Back at the agency, Rogue, Gambit, and Cyclops successfully hold off the assault team, allowing the rest of the mutants inside to destroy the files. As they make a clear escape for the Blackbird, the team's personal jet, a sentinel appears from the woods. Back at the mansion inside the war room, Jean Grey, wearing the Cerebro helmet, cries out in anguish, saying that it is Morph. Charles dons the helmet and ominously notes that he can sense nothing of Morph. The Blackbird continues to return to the mansion with a very emotional team. They were forced to leave Morph and Beast behind, with Jean Grey confirming that, as they feared, Morph is dead. Wolverine takes his death the worst and blames Cyclops for Morphe's death. Wolverine punches Cyclops in the gut and tells him that next time he'll use his claws on him. Pretty dark. Threatening murder there, but that is Wolverine. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I I don't know if I've I don't know if I've ever seen Wolverine threaten to murder Cyclops <laughs> in the in the X-Men universe, in the real, you know, in the 616. It, it it's I think what is nice about it is that it's clear. It's it is dark. You are right. It's dark, but it's also clear that it's an emotional kind of explosion rather than an actual threat. I think anyway. What? How do you feel about it? I don't know. I I I, I just thought like oh, he's just doing one of his threats, isn't he? Like oh, like I'm gonna. You know, you know what you know. You know when some some mothers say, "Ah, you do that again, I'll rip off your arm and hit you with a soggy end." <laughs> oh, next time yeah. I'll use my claws. I just saw it I as I, yeah. I saw it yeah. as an empty threat, an empty yeah. threat, just something said out of anger, not not like yes. Oh, but that, that's what I meant. Yeah, it's like I not like I'm really upset. I am genuinely considering killing you. <laughs> <laughs> not, not like that. <laughs> That is a twisted mother threat. That is a weird... <laughs> oh, you've driven me so far up the wall, I am going to seriously contemplate your end. Bart, I'm yeah. going to kill you, slowly and painfully. <laughs> there it is, folks. First one of the, of the season. No, no, Mark I did several down. before. I did several before. No, you talked about them. That's not a reference, though. Okay. That's not a quote out of thin air. <laughs> No, it's not thin air. There was some relevance. Okay, back to the story. <coughs> He's shaking his head at me while drinking. That's a good talent. <laughs> That's talent there. Anyway, Gene confirms that while Beast is still alive, Morph is dead. Wolverine trashes Cyclops' car and drives away in his Jeep. In a flashback, a sentinel appeared out of the trees, but Morph ordered Wolverine back before pushing Wolverine <coughs> out of the way of the blast, killing Morph. The rest of the team take on the sentinels and with great difficulty before attempting an escape wolverine drains sorry attempt before attempting an escape wolf wolverine uh, protests against leaving his fellow x-men behind but before he can go for them rogue drains him of his energy knocking him out i always wondered right um how much damage a shapeshifter can do in battle it seems like he's only good at infiltration uh, and they're not really doing infiltration, and and you know, but with like say like Mystique, she has really good fighting skills. But with Morph, it's like, hey, I can be funny. Yeah, um, it, I think this mission would have gone a lot better if it was m- maybe just Morph, Wolverine, and Beast. Yeah, 
Yeah. With I don't I don't know with, with Cyclops hanging back to you know blow up tanks if needed. Yeah. Um, because Morph should be able to do this on his own. Shouldn't Morph be able to say, "Turn off the power grid. I need to check on the thing that people might steal. Whatever it is they're going for." If this was a video game, Morph would still be alive if I was playing it. I would oh. not make a rookie mistake like this. Uh, yeah. If it was a team, if it was a squad-based strategy game, man, I would be make. Uh, actually, why would you believe that? After I told you, after a previous game I played, I failed to defend my base because I sent everything at the enemy. <laughs> why would you believe me saying that? Before we move on, I just want to. I, I do want to just slightly go back to. Mm. Um, that whole scene, like, yeah. One thing we didn't mention is that once once Wolverine punches Cyclops in the gut because he sucker punches him. Oh yeah, he proper sucker. And punches then he him. says, "Next time, I'll use my claws on you." And then, as he's walking away, Cyclops kind of gets ready to shoot him in the back with his optic blast, and it Gambit doesn't Gambit get in between yeah, him and I kind think, of calm it all down. Gam- Gambit says some. French American thing, and he stops. And 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 then they get that. It's like this is so good. <laughs> this is so. What kind of Saturday morning cartoon show do you see where the good guys are fighting, literally fighting each other like this? It's and true. it's not. Uh, it's not jokey. Mm. It's raw emotion, and it's really. They're, they're raw. With we've just had a death, of course, but it's just, and it's this is. This is real good, proper Marvel infighting and melodrama. I, I, I loved it. I, I'd forgotten how much of that was in this cartoon series. It's that stuff that defines Marvel, that makes them stand out from DC and other superhero comics. And I just wanted to, yeah, I just wanted to briefly highlight that because it's really, it was really freaking cool. Yeah, I, I, I did notice that as well. I mean, it's. It's it's trying to not compare it to the MCU because, of course, there's tons of that in the MCU and the other Marvel films. But Batman the animated series did have some of that as well. I'm not going to talk to you. Yeah. There, there were there were moments where it got you right there, you know. Yeah, Batman is, is contentious and at odds with the people that he kind of allies himself with. I don't think there's as much of this in the MCU. I mean, mm. there's things like Civil War, but it's not like I don't know. They're not wrought with emotion. You know, it's like, damn it, I have reasons. I have reasons too. Okay, we're going to fight. You know. I, yeah, I think so. I think yeah, I think Civil War is, is like is kind of full of emotion as well. But I mean, like like a regular thing where they're all on the same side, but also they're constantly infighting and bickering and stuff. Because that's one thing to remember is that the new X Men of the seventies onwards were like that all the time. They were there was a lot of that tension going on. Mm. There was a lot of that that fight infighting going on, which made it exciting. Anyway. No, no, no. I, I, I like, I like. Uh, I also just remembered that you randomly messaged me on Facebook once um, and said, oh, by the way, uh, Batman, Mask of Phantasm is the best Batman film. Yes. Yes. And I'm like... Yes, it's better than any other Batman film. Even Lego Batman. Yeah, because that's... that's a, this is, this is, it's really fun, but it's not... It doesn't have the heart of Batman in it, really. Okay, okay. I want us to it cover sums. this. I want us to cover that soon. I really do because that is a good film. Uh, let's talk about how dark this is, and X Men dies, and they're all really emotional about it, as we've, as we've been talking about. Let's let's 
That's well, let's talk about Morph first. Let's talk about Morph. Skipped. Yeah. Before we get to his death, let's talk about it, yeah. shall we? Yeah, actually, yeah, let's talk you about think? his death. Sorry, sorry. He, he's, um, he is a character created entirely for the cartoon, really. Yeah, that's what I thought. But also, not. Huh? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, it's a little odd. So, they, they wanted to kill off uh, an X-Man right at the start to show how high the stakes were mm-hmm. to, sh- to to really exemplify what they're going to do with this cartoon series i yeah. guess which is that it is going to be adults adult stories but but kind of written for that were accessible to kids originally it was going to be a short-lived native american x-man called thunderbird who is one of the original parts of the new x-man he joins with storm and wolverine and all of that um, and he died on that team's second mission. One of those rare characters that never returns to life in any meaningful way. You know, there might be a ghost story yeah. or a, a brief zombie reappearance or whatever. But his legacy as a character is really that being an X-Man is goddamn dangerous and shouldn't be taken lightly. Because it's always like, well, Thunderbird was a badass and he died in the second mission. Um it was pointed out to the writers, and I learnt this from Eric uh, Lewood's book uh, previously on X Men, that that <laughs> they their plans are now to kill off their only Native American character very early in the series. So they decide that's a bad look. Yeah, it's a very bad and, look. And they decide to go with uh, another character. And we do get to see Thunderbird. Like I said, he's in that title sequence. Uh, bizarrely on the villain side, and I can't remember. He does. I think Thunderbird reappears later on, but it might be Warpath. Now Warpath is Thunderbird's brother, and they look exactly the same anyway. <laughs> so they can't use Thunderbird. the uh, The plan then is to use another short lived X Men character from the sixties called Changeling. Mm. Changeling is an is an evil shape shifting mutant who, who plagues the X Men before he then decides to turn goody. And he he secretly works for Professor X, and none of the X Men know about it. So, Changeling secretly impersonates Xavier for months without the X Men knowing, mm. and then he they get into this fight with a subterranean monster called Grotesque, which is one hundred percent Stan and Jack ripping off the Morlocks <laughs> from the nineteen sixties Time Machine movie. Ah, uh, the we go. hair, yep. the skin, the clothing. And the colours of the clothing, 100% rip-off. So, Grotesque kills Professor Xavier. And all the X-Men think Xavier's really dead. They bury him. They try and move on. They grieve. (laughs) And then, later on, Xavier's alive. And they they find out that it was Changeling all along. And Changeling never really comes back to life in any meaningful way, either. So, the, 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 the cartoon wanted to use Changeling. But at this point... Marvel haven't used a character called Changeling since the 60s. Mm. But DC Comics has a smash hit comic book series called the New Teen Titans in the 80s. And their super popular character... Sorry, that becomes super popular. And Beast Boy, who you'll know from the cartoon series, they changed his name in the 80s to Changeling. <sighs> so... The uh, according to uh, according to th- this this great book previously on the X Men, 
rather than have any issue with the lawyers and the trademark, the lawyers basically insist they rename the character. So that's where Morph comes from. It's pretty hard to say this is the same character, though, because, like, Changeling is this brief appearance character from the 60s. He's a villain, and then most of his appearances, he's Professor Xavier. (laughs) He doesn't really have any kind of personality that you can point at and go, oh, yeah, that's, you know, (laughs) that's definitely... I don't know, Changeling. It's weird. It, for any video game fans out there, to me, he just sounds like Decoy Octopus from Metal Gear Solid. A character you only meet because he's disguised as someone else and then dies. <laughs> and then that's is him. he an octopus? No, well, all, the, all, the, all the different names. The first name is a description and the second name is a animal. So you have Psycho, Mantis, ah. Sniper, Wolf, Liquid Snake, uh, Vulcan Raven and Decoy Octopus. Yeah. I love that game. Great. Liquid is a description. Okay, a word. There's a word. There's a word. Anyway. Adjective. Adjective. There we go. You can describe something as liquid. Like liquid football. Anyway, so back to the story. Back at the agency, a guard discovers that Beast with the Sentinel... Sorry. Back at the agency, a guard discovers Beast with a Sentinel taking the mutant prisoner. Meanwhile, in a bar... Logan plays pool with some bikers, stopping the game to yell at the barman to turn off the TV that's broadcasting Senator Robert Kelly talking about the mutant problem. The bikers start a fight, only just realising that Wolverine's a mutant. Cyclops enters the bar, breaks up the fight, and brings Wolverine out to the parking lot. Scott asks Logan if he wants to help find the Sentinel's home base. So Cyclops... Uh, he's he's quite a small part in the movies. He, he's basically yeah. the, the straight-edged one, straight-laced one. And here, there's tons of drama and tension between him and Wolverine. I take it that's in the comic books, right? Oh yeah, tons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. L- Logan is anti-authority, and Cyclops is the leader. Uh, Wolverine wants to do everything his way. He hates teamwork. He hates working with others. He hates taking orders. All at the beginning, right? All in the 70s, um, going on through. He's always calling Cyclops pretty boy and boy scout. (laughs) And he bites back every single time Scott, you know, gives him an order or puts a plan together. Like, Wolverine kind of doesn't want to be in the X-Men. But he needs Professor Xavier's help. So that's why he's there. Yeah. Um, and he's really learning to be around people, mm. have friends, be in a team, work. Um, it, it's great tension. It's that it's the same kind of tension that, like Captain America had with the Avengers in the sixties. Um, it, it makes the stories electric to read. Um, it's not just good guys come up with a plan. It's good guys come up with a plan and then it's fraught with squabbling and infighting and <laughs> who do you think you are coming up with a plan and telling me what to do? I ought to stab you in the brain and I can. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and Jean Grey, of course, becomes uh, more and more of a sore spot between the two of them. Um, to begin with, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break some people's hearts here. To begin with, Wolverine is a toxic, creepy stalker dude who believes he's been friend-zoned. He fancies Gene something rotten, mm. and Gene shows Wolverine kindness and friendship like she does to everyone because she's a nice person. And he 
takes that to mean that she wants him and Scott is standing in their way and she's too nice to dump him. Despite the fact that is not the case and there is no there is no evidence of that from Jean's perspective whatsoever, right? This has later been retconned. A lot of due to a lot of fans loving the Gene Scott the Gene Wolverine thing, it's now been retconned to show that in flashbacks and stuff, there had always been a passionate connection between Wolverine and Jean Grey. That is not the case in the original stories at all. She's just a decent human being to him. And he's like, oh God, I can't control myself. I love her so much. And that guy's in the way. <laughs> anyway, they, they, have, they have a couple of passionate um, times over the years. Um, uh, like One time, Jean... Wolverine thinks Jean is dead. She comes back from the dead and he snogs her immediately. And that time Jean is like, ah, what's happening? I didn't like this. <laughs> and then the next time, Wolf, and then the next time, kind of the everything is tipped and shifted. Like the next time they have a passionate embrace, Wolverine's dying. And by that point, Marvel mandate or the direction of the stories was these two have a passionate connection now. That's what we've decided. So the next time they have a, have a snog, Jean Grey is like, I really like this. You're the best you are at what you do. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that leads to a lot of tension between Logan and Scott. But at the same time, Wolverine has become, by the 90s, a lot more of a team player. The 80s were hell for the X-Men. Like, really awful. And And... Both of them and fought side by side, time and time again. They become brothers in arms to a certain extent. They're not like each other's favourite person, but there's a level of trust. And Wolverine has stopped being this hot-headed douche. Mm. He's stopped being a rebel, really. Like, he's signed up now. Now he's on board with the mission of the X-Men. And now he's on board with, yeah, actually Cyclops is a good leader. Um so around the time of the cartoon series, Scott and Jean finally get married, like right around the time this happens. Mm. And and Wolverine cannot bring himself to be at the wedding and actually take tells him he's taking a leave of absence from the team. But he doesn't explicitly tell Cyclops why he's leaving. And it's written in this way that they both know what's going on. They both know Wolverine is leaving because he fancies Jean. And it's kind of like, it's written so that Scott has this kind of respect that Logan is actually going to leave them alone in peace rather than causing drama or hanging around and brooding and, and kind of <laughs> making things like, you know. Mm. And then there's, there's, there's tons of tension between them to come, but that's all after the cartoon series, so I don't think it's entirely relevant to talk about. We touched on some of it in... Ah, uh, one of them. X-Men or X-Men 2 that we covered. Yeah, yeah. I mean, X-Men 3, we could probably cover it a lot more in that, but apparently it doesn't exist! It does, it's just, you know, we'll, we'll have to get to it at some point. You know it's a crap, you've seen it, you know it's I've terrible, seen it right? several times, and... Yeah, it's awful. I'm trying to think of redeeming features, but it's really hard. The only redeeming feature I could I, I can I can bring to mind is, and that got me really excited, was when they're doing the danger room at the beginning, 
And in a sentinel's head flies into view, and it went. <gasps> yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And then, it, oh, it's a hologram, and sentinels are never mentioned again. And I was like, "Oh, fair enough, fair enough." Uh, they make reference to the um, YouTube meme video. I'm the juggernaut. B word. They have Vinnie yeah, Jones yeah, say yeah, that yeah. in it, and that's kind of funny if you know that meme. But he, he yeah, looks like terrible. Meme. It's not at yeah. all like the awesome juggernaut we see in Deadpool 2. They, sh- they should go. get the mountain from Game of Thrones to play him, but that would work. Anyway, yeah. getting away from that film, at the White House, Guy Rich is summoned by the president about his mutant registration program and asks why a group of mutants went to great risk to destroy his files. After the meeting, Jubilee's foster father calls him and tells him that he is there. So how much does the government get involved with mutants in the comic books? Do they actually want to register them and lock them up? Yeah, well, we, we talked about the, the Mutant mm. Registration Act. Um, the government put together a couple of teams. So they put together a, a team of mutants called Freedom Force <laughs> to go around the country and capture mutants and, mm. and, and like register them or put them in jail. But Freedom Force is actually Mystique and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. <laughs> um, she, so at the time they do this, Mystique is working full time for like one of the top government security agencies as Raven Darkholm, and Raven Darkholm comes up with this brilliant idea uh, because she's been contacted by Mystique, and the brilliant idea is to. Um, give pardons to the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and you know mm-hmm. get them to become this new team called Freedom Force. So that that takes place. That team largely fails. Uh government agent Valerie Cooper um, organizes a second team. This time she decides to this is a great concept, Will. What do you think about this? She decides to not use evil criminals. <laughs> she, she uses <laughs> heroes who want to be heroes. Um, and, and this team is essentially a government-sponsored X-Men team. They're called X-Factor. Um, that's a terrific series. Uh, written by Peter David um, and, and, and artist Larry, um, Larry Stroman. That's really great. I recommend that one. And side note for Willie P... Mm. It's intimated in X Factor that Valerie Cooper has a brother who is Dale Cooper. Dale Cooper is essentially from Twin Peaks. Investigating Twin Peaks, yeah. They don't explicitly say it, but they it is intimated that her brother is Dale Cooper. Um and you know, that's that. They talk about him investigating some poor girl's murder and things being weird where he is um the so yeah that's a good series to check out the the the, the regular that's that's the, the that's regular... the oddest thing <laughs> yeah oh, it's just like it's like a little easter egg it's not like a plot point I'll or come... oh i was about to say if it was some kind of uh like hinting at a cro- potential crossover to be like why would they do that no not quite not quite <laughs> The the regular six one six universe actually comes quite close to becoming the nightmare days of future past world. Um, uh, mm. the, the, 
the the Senator Robert Kelly, instead of getting murdered by mutants, uh, is terrified of them because because they nearly killed him. And he creates something called Project mm. Wide Awake. Guy Rich features heavily in this. It's a secret clandestine mm. government project to deal with growing mutant population. Guy Rich starts creating weapons that can take away mutant powers, um, and they start to work on inhibitor collars ways of imprisoning mutants and put them into camps and as part of this a a new fleet of sentinels are created and then they're scattered across america and hidden in secret locations in every state so that should the day come the president or whoever can push the big red button and activate all the sentinels in one go to sweep across america and start i don't know killing or arresting mutants um, that's Whew. a very dark time, and at, and at one stage, this is yeah. Well, yeah, we'll talk about it. At one stage, the government create a new type of sentinel that are essentially mech. They're they're, they're driven by human pilots. Rody is involved. Ah, right. right. Um, yeah, and oh. they station these giant death machines right outside the X mansion. So every day, the X Men and all the little children who go to those school. They they live in the shadow of these weapons of mass destruction, parked there to just watch them and be like, "You're gonna do oh. bad mutants, yeah, messed up. The government's messed up. Never trust Marvel governments." So back to the story. At Jubilee's house, Cyclops has met with her family to talk about Jubilee's kidnapping. Her father suddenly tells Scott that he needs to leave right away, explaining that they told him that if anyone comes asking about Jubilee to call them. Scott reassures him that he did nothing wrong and swiftly exits the house before facing a sentinel outside. Cyclops blasts off its arm, forcing the robot to go back to the base for the repairs. In the Blackbird, Storm tracks the sentinel on radar, allowing the team to follow it back to its secret base. So, uh, what, 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 one, one thing I noticed was a woman president! Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right, yeah. We're not going to say that for a long time. Uh, apparently, uh, she was based on Hillary Clinton because around that time, uh, she became first lady. I think that, that year, oh. she became first lady. Really? Oh, wow. 1992, okay, cool. yeah. yeah. So it was based course, on yeah. Hillary Clinton. Uh, so I, I just thought that was, that was fun noting down. Because, you know, in the 90s, they always played around in like movies and films, uh, movies and uh, TV shows and everything. It's like, yeah. uh, the president is not a white guy. An old white dude. An old yeah. white dude. It's like, oh, he's either Morgan Freeman or a woman. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, what, that's what the president always was. I, I like that. Also, um, for a Saturday morning cartoon, the plan to damage one of the Sentinels so it's forced to go back to repair so they know its basis. That's actually a pretty good plan for a Saturday morning cartoon. <laughs> I thought that was yeah. pretty intelligent. I was like, mm, it's not bad. Not bad at all. So, obviously, we can see in the cartoon that Cyclops is a lot more powerful than we uh, ever saw him in the movies. Uh, how powerful is his optic blast in the comic books? <clears throat> okay, so Cyclops doesn't have eyes what they aren't eyes they are interdimensional portals to what is what is referred to as a non-newtonian universe okay so it's a universe that doesn't follow the rules of our physics right and and this universe is filled with this kind of destructive ruby energy um 
so when he opens his eyelids, uh, this 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 stuff you know comes pouring out. He's been shown to wipe out sentinels on his own yeah. with with the optic blasts. He can destroy an entire skyscraper. He's he's been shown to shatter a mountain. Ooh. Cyclops is is also in control of how much force he produces because he's been shown to play pool using his optic blasts <laughs> to strike the cue ball. Um, and he he's he's a highly trained marksman mm. with his shots. He he has talked about using trigonometry to understand the angles needed for his strikes. He knows how to bounce it off certain objects or how to do a precision strike, how to make these shots from really far away. Um, Tony Stark has measured Cyclops' optic blast as producing two gigawatts of energy. And that is roughly twice the energy needed to create a nuclear blast. Yeah, I, I remember this from uh, Back to the Future, because it's 1.21 gigaw- gigawatts, which is the same as uh, lightning lightning strikes. Obviously, two giga- giga- gigawatts is going to be, yeah, huge. More than a nuclear blast, um, yeah. yeah. Um, in, in the Age of Apocalypse timeline, which we will be covering in our bonus episode this month on Patreon... Cyclops' optic blasts are powerful enough to destroy adamantium. Uh, because Cyclops has blasted off one of Wolverine's arms in that in that world, in that universe. Um, it's also worth kind of like thinking about Cyclops as a character, like outside of the optic blasts. So Mr. Sinister, who is this genetic scientist villain who's been studying the genetics of mutants since the 1800s, he was like a contemporary of Darwin and all that kind of stuff. Mr. Sinister considers Scott Summers to be the perfect mutant specimen. Ooh. Um, which is why he does all sorts of creepy stuff to, to Scott over the years. His combat skills shouldn't be overlooked Cyclops is Captain America with death rays in his head. <laughs> That's a great description. He, um, uh, I mean, the, I'm going to talk about two things that happened before this cartoon series. But after the cartoon series, there, there, there is. They went to. There's been these massive wars that the X Men have been part of, and Cyclops has been shown to be this fantastic like military general coming up with these brilliant plans to outplay like Norman Osborn and to go to take the X-Men head to head with the Avengers um but yeah his his combat skills are just fantastic on two occasions he's fought the entire X-Men team on his own and taken them apart so there's there's one one time when uh, he, he's trying to like the whole team is dealing with the aftermath of the the Proteus saga, and they're shaken to their core, mm. and and Scott like knows they need some tough love, and they need they need to pick themselves up and get fighting again. So he picks he just picks a fight with Wolverine. He throws <laughs> coffee in Wolverine's face, Ooh. and he's like, "You're always talking a big game. You ain't never done nothing about it. Come on, then." <laughs> and, and like the whole team is like, "What are you doing?" And so he starts this fight, and he starts he starts he starts on on Colossus, on Storm, and everyone, and he 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 takes the team like he handles the whole team without breaking a sweat. That's but amazing. He, it, but it's part of it was part of general training. He gets them all into a combat mindset again. Mm. He he pee, peeves them all off to the point where they are like angry and they're getting into it. 
And then in a later issue, the entire team believe that Scott has been possessed by the Dark Phoenix. They're all geared up to kill him <laughs> because they, they truly believe he is this dangerous thing that will mm. end end worlds. Colossus, Rogue, Storm, Nightcrawler, and Wolverine all attack Cyclops, and Cyclops on his own, <laughs> with his combat skills and his optic blasts, and his knowledge of how they fight, just takes them all apart. He handles it. It's not a problem. <laughs> um, and like, it's never. It's disappointing that 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 character is not displayed in the movies to a certain extent. And in the movies, he's always sort of like goody two shoes. A bit of a and he is boy. he is yeah it's it's only kind of after the cartoon series after the other as you get into the two thousands that you get a, a less goody two shoes version of of Cyclops really and you get kind of a bit more of a military a military kind of guy and a bit more of a passionate um, leader of his people mm. he he is goody two shoes in this cartoon era and all that kind of stuff but he's Still a badass. He's st- Captain America's a goody two shoes. You just got to do it properly and, and write it well. I'd, anyway, I know Captain Captain America has a ruggedness to it. Scott Summers yeah, doesn't. Maybe. Scott Summers feels like mm. a student. Scott Summers feels like the student that pa- that Captain America later became. I, I get. I do get that. I think that's also like Wolverine's problem with him is that he feels like he's a student. Yeah. Um, it. it it maybe yeah. But by, by the time we get to the nineties, I don't get that feeling from him, and that, even the eighties. I mean, geez. The, anyway, yeah. Cool. Right, we're up to the final stretch of the story. Back at U.S. Motors, the Sentinel is repaired. Trask watches over the automated process as Guy Rich tells him to start packing. Guy Rich explains that the president cancelled the government support of their mutant registration, and he fears the Sentinel program will be next. The operation. Would have, would have to move be moved overseas. They're interrupted by the sound of an approaching sentinel flying through the ceiling, damaging equipment. In her cell, the mechanical sorry, in, in her cell, the mechanical arms power down and one of the shackles open, allowing her to blast her way through the wall. As Jubilee attempts an escape, she is surrounded by sentinels. Gambit enters and takes care of the robots. The rest of the X-Men make a dramatic entrance and destroy the rest of the Sentinels. The team rescue Jubilee from the Sentinel base and take her away. Later, Jubilee says goodbye to her foster parents as she begins a new life with the X-Men back at the mansion. At the mansion, Scott asks Jean if he did the right thing with Beast and Morph. She reassures him that he did what he had to do, and so did they. So I take it Guy Rich, Trask and the Sentinels will return. <laughs> it looks like they're going to return in this. Um, you know, you're, 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 I, I haven't watched much further ahead. I, I, I'm fairly certain they all do. The Sentinels definitely do. Mm. I'm sure Guy Rich, there's lots more shady government stuff going on. Um, what is interesting is that this is the, you know, you do get the start of ongoing stories. Morph's death kind of haunts the team for ages. Um, and I know that comes up again in season two. Beast remains on trial for all of the season one, I think. I remember that for the cartoon because he's constantly in a prison cell and they offer to yeah. ha- rescue him and he goes, nope, 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 I am I belong here. He's like, no, because I'll make a mockery of the justice system, he says or something yeah, like that. The, yeah, the trial of, you introduce this character and then he's in prison like, for the whole <laughs> season. It's That's really impressive, man, and really, really cool and, and really fun. <laughs> 
So that was Night of the Sentinels Part 1 and 2, the beginning of the X-Men animated series, the beginning of Marvel's animated universe that we are covering here on Marvel vs. Marvel in 2021. Um, so many memories, so many great things taking place. Will, what are your, what are your final thoughts on... The show on 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 the X Men in 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 this kind of depiction of them. I I did enjoy it. Uh, the the set the, the way it sounds is is just different to animated shows I've 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 seen recently. The way it sounds, the way it's animated. Um, I think I need to watch the other episodes because I know this these these were these two were rushed episodes. So I, I think it might be best if I watch some some more. But for 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 for, for wait for a new show to kick off, it's not bad at all, is it? I think it's incredibly impressive. I, it really mm. is. I, I was, I, I, again, I, I am Im- I'm impressed and amazed. They kept the emotional heart. That's mm. what is what came to me. I don't think I've seen that kind of emotional turmoil in a cartoon series before. And you struggle to. I mean, I know cartoons get very, very more advanced now and stuff, but it's just a Saturday morning kids' cartoon to have that level of of, of emotional turmoil and grief and. And angst in it, it that's very marvel that's very mm. that's very marvel and that was i think very fitting um for for the series and for the characters as well and the, the costumes man maybe maybe <laughs> i'm all about the costumes and the music but I, I i i thought it was it was every time i watch one of these old old one of these episodes uh i am transported back to uh saturday mornings as a kid yeah it was like that for me i I, 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 it, but I have that sort of like knowledge of how MCU films have progressed and how they can be watched by kids. I have adults. that knowledge as well. But I don't know. I keep, I keep going. Ah, I wish, I wish, I wish someone got rewrote the dialogue. Yeah, see, I, I've, I've realised you, you seem unable to, to kind of like view things in their setting. We had this with, with like Blade and with Fantastic Four and stuff. Although Fantastic Four, it turned out. Was not was not a nineties movie. It just felt like one. But <laughs> yeah. you, you you seem to be like, oh yeah, it's just it's just Blade. It just seemed very yeah because it was older. Um, well, hey, we've got one more exciting thing to come. Will oh oh, our final new jingle <laughs> of the episode. Are you ready? Here it comes. Reading list. The reading list. The reading list. The reading list. Um, there's some, you know, it's it, we, we've recommended lots of X Men comics in the past. I, I think, though, I mean, I don't know if this. If you're a fan of the X Men cartoon series, it's hard to think of something that would give you that nice, gentle introduction. I don't. So I don't think I'm going to bother doing that. What I think I'm going to do is recommend some course I talked about. So I talked about the Australia era of the X Men. Hey. Where they are presumed dead and hiding in the Australian outback. Mm. Um, that's collected. It's a Marvel do a series of essential collections. This is Essential X Men Volume Eight, and that features Jubilee, her first appearance, and, and hooking up with the team. The Reavers, Wolverine, you know, nearly dies. The, the, the Genosha, mm. and that kind of wonderful social commentary on South Africa. That's all contained in Chris Claremont and and um, and the generally Mark Silvestri and some wonderful people he works with in the Essential X Men Volume Eight. 
I think that X Factor. I know we it's like like didn't like take part much in this, but I think it's a really cool series. So if you're looking for a cool series, Marvel have another series called the Epic Collection. It's called All New, All Different X Factor Epic Collection by Peter David and Larry Stroman. Really cool government sponsored mutant team. Um, that that's a great series to look at. And I really, really, really think. I mean, Eric Lewald has got who, who was the it was, we talked about him being the um, the senior story producer on on or script producer on this on this series. He's got a fantastic book called Previously on the X Men, which it's got a lot of the behind the scenes dirt. And then with his wife Julia Lewald, they have a gorgeous book called X Men: The Art and Making of the Animated Series. That one is packed with with awesome artwork. So that's that's almost like a good coffee table book to have um, to flick through and to see the character designs and, and and cool things like that. So if you want the behind the scenes dirt previously on the X Men, if you want to look at the awesome awesome stuff and and get some of that making of, then then um, that that artwork of one is really cool um, as well. Uh, that brings the first episode of 2021 to a close, and we've got we can announce the next episode right now, can't we? We can. We know we, what we're doing. We can. This do. year, we know what we're doing. We made plans and schemes. <laughs> um, uh, thank you for for joining us and downloading. We love you all. Um, check out bonus episodes and all sorts of shenazzle on um, patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Don't forget to get in touch. Uh, via email marvel versus marvel at gmail.com or you can tweet us at marvel versus and you can join us for the next episode where we return to the mcu with ant-man thanks for listening to marvel versus marvel don't forget to like us rate us subscribe give us five stars and a review and hey why not recommend us to a friend who loves Marvel movies, comic books, TV shows, all that shabazz. Head over to patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel for more, more Marvel content. Marvel versus Marvel.